Hello and welcome to the PopBreak.com's official Oscars podcast, hosted by Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor. Hi, everybody. This is Matt Taylor, TV editor of thepopbreak.com, and you're listening to And the Winner Still Is, the Popbreak's official Oscar retrospective podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, um, the film editor of thepopbreak.com, Marissa Carpico. Say hi, Marissa. Hello. And we have a very special guest for this very special episode, um, the founder and editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com, Bill Podkin. <laughs> Say hi, Bill. Hey guys, what's going on? There we go. Um, I hope I got your title right. I realized that I'm, I'm, I'm going in blind. I hope this is the yeah. correct title. Yeah, I am. I am the founder and editor in chief, and uh, Bill Payer, and all sorts of stuff that goes with the podcast. It's nice not to host a podcast for once, by the way. So very excited. <laughs> there we go. Um, and this is a very special episode of Anna Still is because. We're talking about one of the most popular years for film and just the Oscars in general um, with the Best Picture lineup where I would argue definitely three, but maybe four of the films nominated are like essential classics in American cinema. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we're going to have some interesting discussions going on. We're talking, of course, about 1994, the year I was born. Um, Jesus Christ. (laughs) He said that last time and I had the same reaction, Bill. I was like, how? dare you this was my cinematic awakening this is the year where i just didn't go to kids movies and whatever my dad watched and that was the year you were born yeah it's, oh. that was matt's literal awakening oh. it was, it, was. Oh, damn it. <laughs> it was my literal awakening but you know in a way um the lion king was my cinematic awakening which did come out this year so you know it's like kind it's, it's within the same realm um but yeah, 1994, a crazy stacked year. Um, we're going to have a, lo- a lot of interesting conversations, I think, about each of these films, um, including the Best Picture winner for that year, Forrest Gump. Before we dive into that, though, the ceremony itself was held on March 27th, 1995. It was one of the most watched telecasts at the time, which I think is a testament to how popular those films were, but also just TV ratings were very different at the time, and people actually watched TV um, as it aired. And one thing I found really interesting was that David Letterman host ho- hosted, mm. but um, it was a very poorly received telecast. And it was. <laughs> can you speak to it at all, Bill? Yeah, I watched it. Uh, I was because I convinced my dad and my mom. I'm like, I really want to watch. Like I said, it's my cinematic awakening. So I'm like. I really want to watch the Oscars. I had been following like the box office and I was watching, reading entertainment weekly and watching all like the entertainment news magazine shows. And here we are, David Letterman comes out and any, the only thing people could remember from that Dan Oscar was his repetitive Oprah, Uma, Uma, Oprah. And that thing went on all night. And I remember my dad looking at me, he said, you begged me to watch this. <laughs> yeah. It's Great. like, I was like, it's one of the infamously one of the worst hosting gigs of all time. He he could not tell a joke. And like David Letterman has is known to be funny. Like he <laughs> just wasn't nothing connected. Like it was a swing and a miss by a mile on everything. Yeah. 
you know, I think hosting the Oscars is kind of a thankless job. <laughs> and, like, I always tend to not care how the host does because, like, you know, it's at worst they just tell a couple of corny jokes. But it is funny that, like, his performance, and I've seen the clips and it's it's very awkward. <laughs> um, like, he's truly bad at it. He's probably the only one I've seen the clips of where I'm like, oh, like, they really fucked up. Him and maybe Seth MacFarlane. Oh, I and, think uh, James Franco and Anne Hathaway, too. Oh, that was bad. That that's was a whole real bad. Like, but that's the thing about the Oscar hosts. When they're bad, they're, like, insanely bad. If they're... But everything else is kind of like, eh, whatever. You know, I think our current news system is much... I agree. I hope we never have a host again. Let's not let's not ever go back to that. Um, but no, let's get right into the best picture winner then. Uh, Forrest Gump, directed by Robert Zemeckis. It's kind of like the most American movie of all time in that it follows a good chunk of like fifty or um, fifty or so years through American history, um, and. Also stars like America's movie star Tom Hanks, and it's, only really, it's really only twenty years. It feels like fifty. Yeah, is it, is, it's like, is it like thirty or yeah twenty? Because it's like early. It was it end early eighties, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. supposed to be sixty something to to eighty something. Yeah, I think of Elvis and I think of fifties, but I guess it probably was closer to the sixties. And also, I just <laughs> rounded way up. But um, it's but, really confusing though. It's really it is. Confusing. It is. Yes. It is a. It's a strange film. We'll get into it in like literally five minutes. Um, so, and also it's directed by Robert Zemeckis, who has directed some really just like essential films in the American pop culture canon. So, um, to describe the plot very very quickly, because I'm sh- I'd be willing to bet money that everybody listening to this podcast episode has at least seen. 20 minutes of Forrest Gump on TV. Um, <laughs> if Forrest Gump took use IMDb's description um, or a paraphrase from it follows a simple man named Forrest Gump and his journey through um, through his life which intersects with a bunch of chapters in American history um, it's the intersecting love story of him and his girlfriend Jenny and um, you know just this like really quote unquote quintessential American um, life narrative uh, it was a massive success at the time of its release. If you convert the box office to modern receipts, it grossed over seven hundred million, which is kind of like what Endgame. I think Endgame is in the seven hundred still. It might have gotten up to eight hundred by now, but like within the same ballpark, which is kind of insane because I don't think we will ever have a movie that is not an action film gross that much again. Um, and you know, it just it's an iconic movie. And I'm going to throw this over to our guest, Bill. What is your relationship with Forrest Gump and what do you think of it today? Well, it's funny because I was looking at four of the five films like kind of uh, nominated for Best Picture all kind of talk about an, a, a somewhat of an American experience and three out of five of them kind of deal with stuff in the 50s, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of crazy. Um but Forrest Gump, I remember watching this. You know, it was undeniable since you know you weren't born, Matt. I'll speak to this. God damn it! As I count my gray hairs in a mirror, um, which I've had probably since 1994, uh, is um, this was an undeniable movie. You couldn't turn around without people talking about Forrest Gump, and and you would see the the books were getting republished ever because it's based. I believe it's based on a novel, or uh, and 
Uh, the soundtrack was it was insanely big. And during that time, it, remember this was '94, so we're talking about the 25th anniversary of Woodstock, Summer of Love. There was uh, the Woodstock Two was basically Woodstock '94, Woodstock Two, whatever you want to call it, was kind of was back. And there's the big uh, like this kind of love fest for hippies again and kind of centered on Clinton's presidency and it was all like this was the perfect movie for people who were in their 40s to 50s to really latch on to and it just uh, I remember catching this on HBO in 96 I want to say and um, I remember watching it with my mom and my dad and my both my parents were like oh, I, don't know, I don't like this movie but I remember it like being, I guess, 14 at the time when I watched it, and it really, uh, I was, I, I loved the movie, and I was just like, this is like such a great movie, and over the years, probably my love for this movie has lessened, uh, but it's it's a classic American film, you know, underscore and bold American, like, it, it captures about an experience, and it's, I don't know. It's just it's one of those films. It's like it's I can I cannot deny that it why it was so popular or why it won Best Picture because it would just it captured the essence of 1994 to me, and it really and and the people who are running the country and making the money and all that sort of thing. And Tom Hanks took a role that pretty much could be, just be a cartoon character and imbued that inherent Tom Hanksness into it that made us fall in love with this character. Like I said, soundtrack's amazing. Um, at the time, the effects were pretty cool. Seeing him, you know, Tom, Forrest Gump inserted into major moments in history, whether it was the Mike Douglas show or a meeting. Um, no, it wasn't the Mike Douglas show. Let me get the, I got the name wrong. It was a, a talk show at the time. And then also meeting Nixon, going to the Olympics. Um, yeah, everything about this movie was just like it was... A, I've never really seen too many films, like I said, non-action, that really captured a nation the way Forrest Gump did. And still, mm-hmm. kind of does. It's like I was surprised it didn't play Memorial Day weekend, or it, it will definitely play Fourth of July weekend. I'm sure. I'd be willing to bet it. It had to play somewhere Memorial Day weekend. I cannot like. There are just too many channels these days. <laughs> um, but okay, Marissa, what about you? What What are your thoughts on Forrest Gump? Um, I think I saw it either in a theater at the time or like shitloads of time. Well, I definitely saw it shitloads of time Same. on, yeah. on television. Cause it was like, you know, it's one of the, it's just, it's always on some channel realistically. Um, probably like an encore today, you know what I mean? Like an encore of stars. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, um, I loved it as a kid. I liked it's, it's easy watching. Um, <clears throat> I think it is now still, yeah, uh, re- rewatching it again. It's just like, it's easy to look at. It is not too, I mean, it's, if you just take it as it is and don't really think about it too hard, there's nothing like horribly offensive about it or like troubling. I mean, people at the time were outraged or or there were a lot of conflicting opinions and there still are. But, um, if you just go with it and not question what the picture of America that it's painting, then it's totally acceptable. And like, it was acceptable at that time. It's like, it was, you know, 1994. It seemed like we'd solved all the problems in, in America. Like, we we had done it. It was a victory lap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was wow. just, like, looking. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Because I'm thinking, like, in 94, like, we, we yeah, it was, like, that was it. It was, like, Clinton was in. The economy mm-hmm. was good. And, yeah, here it is. It was the victory lap movie. I never thought of it that way, man. That's why, yeah. we, that's why we pay you to big bucks to be the film editor. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, like, it felt like 
you know, we were we were done. We solved all the problems. Let's talk about all of the things we overcame in this last couple, this this latest part of the century. You know what I mean? It that's mm-hmm. and that's the way I still look at it. I mean, I think the way I read it now has changed, um, especially when it comes to um, Jenny's experience of that same century as a contrast um, mm-hmm. and like what it means now versus what it means then. But like we, we can get into that obviously. Mm-hmm. No, um, it's really interesting. It was a victory lap. Uh, and then I came along in 1994 and <laughs> that was the ultimate, that, that was, that was the, that was the, uh, you were the touchdown dance of 1994. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I thought I was the start of the new chapter. <laughs> um, oh, so yeah, Forrest Gump is probably the movie that I have seen most in my life, I'd be willing to bet. Like, it is just on TV so fucking much. And I really vividly remember my first time watching it. They showed it to us in seventh grade history. I don't know why. I think it was just, like, the end of the school year, and they were like, we don't care anymore. Here's a movie. It was a slightly edited version. I did not know about the sex scene. Not sex scene. The near sex scene between Jenny and Forrest at, like, the... When she when they're in co- when she's in college mm-hmm. until... Like, a few years later and I was like, Oh, this scene was not in the version that I saw. But, um, since that time in seventh grade, I had seen it countless times on between just TV viewings, going to people's houses and having like them having it on DVD. Like it just feels like this inescapable piece of pop culture that I have seen so, 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 so many times, which is annoying because I really don't like this movie. (laughs) Um, I never really have. Um, to qualify it, I think it is an undeniable technical achievement, especially with the special effects, like the cutting into archive footage, as Bill mentioned. Um, that's really impressive. It's still really impressive. I love. I do love those scenes individually. Um, and it's not that I think the film is like offensive or anything like that. I really, I, I don't think it's like a, this problematic movie. Like I know there are some people who have written really compelling arguments about why it's problematic, and it's not. I just. I'm not like offended by it, but I just, it is this movie that to me just like has always annoyed me in just the way it like really simplifies a lot of those historical moments as like cutesy little anecdotes or as like, just like really shoehorned in just subplots. Like I, to use as an example and spoiler alert for this film, um, (laughs) which like, Again, I'm sure most of you have seen it. If not, it's 25 years old. Um, like, you know, Jenny being diagnosed at the end with AIDS has always just run me the wrong way. It is such a weird way of shoehorning in that major um, major event. It feels like it doesn't ever take into context, like, what that moment was like in America. It just kind of puts it in there. It's this, like, the Vietnam War is very, um, um, like, explored from a distance. And I, it's not that I'm asking for it to really like do a deep dive into any one of these events i have just always um been a little turned off by the way it does it and i don't know why because it's there is a lot to like about the film um including i will say um robin wright's performance i think is really wonderful i think i'm i was surprised to look back and realize she wasn't nominated in in this lineup i have stuff about that for sure but uh, just to add like two facts about this movie this soundtrack, which was two discs, basically is just like a Spotify playlist of like shit from the <laughs> 60s and 70s, sold 12 million records. 
Like, oh I, my like my in-laws who don't buy anything have this soundtrack. Like Everybody and, had that soundtrack. Yeah. I, remember, I remember that little two-disc sucker. Oh, yeah. And and also, there was supposed to be a sequel, because there is another book, Gump and Company. That oh, never, we'll talk about the sequel. <laughs> that was never made, yeah. Luckily. I think that would have been terrible. <laughs> yeah, especially considering what it was going to do. It's like, ay, 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 ay. Yeah, that's actually the one of my bullet points of things I wanted to explore. Did you both... Um, read the interview with the screenwriter about um like what the plot of forest come oh not the plot but the events that forest come Two was going to explore like we're going to be um, <laughs> oh i oh, did yes, I but did. i forgot well i'll go over it anyway for our listeners and i i might forget some of them um the one that really sticks out to me is that Forrest Gump is in the back of the Bronco as O.J. Simpson <laughs> is um being chased um wait, there's also wait that that's that's for real that was oh going- yeah that yeah. was going to be an event. Um, Holy shit! They, <laughs> it's so bad, bro. Like we, they, they dodged a bullet by not making that thing because it was going to be such a disaster. And really? and the reason they didn't was because of nine eleven. Yeah, I just saw it on Wikipedia. That part on Wikipedia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of other things they were going to pay, um, like call like I don't know the word pay homage. That's a weird term, but like. Kind of call to like to mind the um I can't think of his name unfortunately the story of um the grade school boy in the late eighties who was diagnosed with AIDS and it was a whole media event um like with Forrest's son they were going to kind of call the mind to that there was a whole um arc about like Forrest having this like quasi romance romance with somebody who died in the um Oklahoma City bombings and um it just like it's like it's a it's just a weird sort of arc but i do find it very interesting you know hearing you guys talk about how this film was sort of like a celebration of a victory lap in america that the sequel was not greenlit because of like this chapter of a new like american history like a new chapter in american history with 9-11 being a part do you think there's any world where like this movie could have if this movie was greenlit do you think it would have been a hit like marissa or bill do either of you have a have a Take. <laughs> I think it would have made money, but yeah, I don't. That, yeah, that's my. I think it would have been bad, you know, like the well, because the the whole idea is that would it would end with a shot of him sitting in front of the um, the building that was blown up in the Oklahoma City bombings, and like that's the end shot, and like there is something to there about terrorism and and where the country went that would be uh, sort of uh, different than what the this film does, but like seeing that image and then all of it all it implies about domestic terrorism and and like mass building trauma in in that moment would have been so disastrous to see after 9-11 it would have been no one would have seen it no one would have seen it in that context you know what i mean yeah it's a beloved american character but i also don't think like after you see like a quote or so from tom hanks was like he was not making this movie and like, and like, that's the right thing. I mean, they're and they're not making it without him. I'm sorry. Like, if they could try, people are going to reject it. And like, like it. Like I said, this was that was a victory lap movie, and it was just like, hey, here was here's some downside downturns, and here's some negative stuff. But in the end, ultimately, it's Forrest Gump. Yay, happy stuff. But like, there's nothing about what you said for all those bullet points where you could get some sort of whimsical man living this part of history like it just doesn't yeah that's not gonna happen 
Right. Yeah. Like, but I it think would have made money though because people would have had like, oh, I love Forrest Gump. I love the first yeah. one. Yeah, I think that speaks to like the naivety of the of the film though. Of like, of course, like it's allowed to take this victory lap because it, it does not know what it's coming and it's technically not actually deeply examining the issues that it sort of glances over and actually punishes Jenny with for the most part, like mm-hmm. yep. domestic violence and AIDS and, and like realistically racism was, is never mentioned even though there is a, is a total opportunity for it. So I don't know. I mean, only glancingly, you know what I, I don't know. It's, Man, um, I remember being like a teenager and me like thinking with the Jenny character, I'm like, what? They're really punishing her for going out and living her life. Yeah. Oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. How dare she reap the benefits of being a liberated woman? Yeah. And also, like, the fact that, like, no one acknowledges that, like, a lot of her behavior, I mean, it's not a good line to draw, and it's also sort of troubling in its implication, but, like, you know, she she's clearly been abused as a child, and, like, no one helps her out, realistically. I mean, eventually she gets taken away from her parent or fa- her father, but, like, the scars are not dealt with. Mm-hmm. So. No, yeah, it's a very... Um... It's a very, and I don't mean this, I genuinely don't mean this in a negative way. Um, it's like a very fluffy film, and it's the sort of thing, like, I think there's a place for that. It just, like, I wish it didn't delve into darker material if it wanted to have this tone. And I just don't, I mean, maybe there's a blind spot in the filmography that I'm missing out on, but I just don't think Robert Zemeckis is, like, a dark filmmaker. I think he's always more interested in exploring the fluff and the blockbuster, and that has a place, but, you know certain content shouldn't go into those movies I think <laughs> there's also there's a, actually a line in Quiz Show that kind of applies to the way things are looked at in Forrest Gump it's like kind of it was, and it's kind of like a hammer like it's like hammering the point home you'll see it coming but in 1994 it actually was a little more profound I guess put in air quotes was like we tried to t- change TV but man TV's really going to change us and that's kind of like we're pre everything being placed right in front of us like we were a lot of detachment of like the vietnam war it was over there and everything was far away and over there so we can look at it later through rose-colored glasses of 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 forrest gump simplify Mm -hmm. everything through a simple filter but in in that you know that's why also a gump and company would never have worked because now everything is reality has come to our doorstep Whereas yeah. it wasn't it wasn't for Forrest Gump. I'm not saying anything hugely profound, yeah. but like no. it's like it's like Forrest Gump is just like you know he, he's in places we wouldn't have been, and he, it's like oh he's simple, but now it's just like oh we see this 24 seven on on TV yeah. and on the news, so we don't need this guide. Yeah, I think that's kind of the like the way I read it now is different and based on a lot of what you're saying there, Bill of Lake. I think. You can, at the time, Zemeckis was looking at those tough things and saying, like, well, we overcame them. And, like, this is the best view of these things. Like, uh, it's it's it is deliberately a slight look at those things because it's he's saying, like, look, America did it. We are we've we're doing the victory lap. We did it. We did it with like all the problems we overcame. We overcame the Vietnam thing. We overcame Nixon. All of that trauma has made us into a still good person, essentially. Like, it all glanced off us. But now I look at that as, like, this is completely unintentional, obviously, for the film itself. But, like, now I look at the contrast of him and Jenny as, like, he is, you know, a a straight white guy. Like, 
you could you could see him as this thing of like this is the America that privileged people thought they had and that they keep trying to get back now, right? Like at the time it was talked about as this sort of Reaganomics-y pro, you know, pro-conservative film. And like, you can now look at it as like, yeah, that's what, what Forrest thought because he's, he's literally an idiot as people call him or like he's in the book or whatever. Like he is actually blind to what's going on because he doesn't understand the nuance of things. But Jenny who has seen the worst of the world is treated like shit and is uh, like, let's note a woman. Like she doesn't have that privilege. She gets destroyed by this supposedly great America in which men treat her like trash throughout her entire life. And then it basically ends up killing her. And she has to like regret any sense of freedom she ever had, because that's the only way to get by in this, this shitty world where she is doomed to fail in and Forrest can like, fail upwards while being basically like <laughs> mediocre. But the, the funny thing you're talking about is the other person who's met with cruelty in the world is Lieutenant Dan, yeah. who we is the only like we don't we see a little bit of the negativity of Jenny, but it's just like we're just gonna show you and then move quickly past it. Like they, mm-hmm. they spend more time with Lieutenant Dan, like yeah. him losing his legs and him being an alcoholic and him being nasty and him feeling pain. But in the end he ends up okay too. Or they right. don't let Jenny. Because, they don't let. They don't explore. You know, it would have actually made it a richer film if they had paralleled the two, and mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. see Lieutenant Dan's the horrible side of history. Let him actually have that time and have that um, angst and anger, but also let Jenny have that and not have her as like that. There's that scene where her and Forrest finally sleep together, where she comes almost in the, in the night like a an angel through the gauzy like. Um, curtains and it's like Forrest be with me it's just like no 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 no, stop it like she's a real person like and she's been through stuff and like let's not gloss over that like you know let's let's actually see what the pain she went through and I think that would have made it a better film but in 1994 it's not what people were really diving into and it felt Mm -hmm. like that right no I think that's like a really fascinating I mean both of your reads on this film are just like ideas of how it could have been are genuinely fascinating. It's just a shame that the movie, I don't think, is interested in exploring that. But I don't want to shit on the movie too much because even though I don't particularly like it, I do think, I I totally see the appeal. So do either of you have a particular arc that, or little um, subplot in it that you really like or you think still resonates the most um, today? Hmm. I like the running thing because it's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it's completely devoid of pol- political <laughs> implications <laughs> and all like that'll never age poorly. Um, and also cause it's like, you know, if anybody's been reading my letterbox lately, I'm really into um, stories of dealing with grief now. And um, that's a, that's an eloquent way of talking about it, even though it's um, dumb as hell and also steals the life of a real person. But, who did it in Canada, but whatever, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> we just made it American. <laughs> yeah. I, well, it, what Listen, could be more still, American than st- taking a, yeah. a story and making it our own? <laughs> Listen, we did the same thing in 94 with Jim Carrey. We stole him from Canada and we made him America's biggest box office sensation. Um, there we go. Hey, man. I did not know Jim Carrey was Canadian. <laughs> oh, I was obsessed with Jim Carrey at that age. He was like, he was my, he was my icon. Um, well, so Jim was I, Carrey. but that's because he was born in 94 and not alive in 94. 
1994 like you and I were. I know Jim Carrey as a painter. Who's Jim Carrey? <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. He's Dr. Wiley in the new Sonic movie, guys. With delayed to 2020. Um, anyway, so I, I, for me, I, I think my favorite thing about this movie is, I don't know if I have a particular arc, like... Um, I really just love Hanks' chemistry with his his fellow co-stars. Like, I love his relationship, even though with Bubba, uh, Michael T. Williamson. I love their scenes together because they're just so, he's, they're so good together. And I love the scenes with Hanks and Gary Sinise and Hanks and Sally Field and, and at times Hanks with, with Robin Wright when they're allowed to have real moments together. Like, it's just like I really just – my favorite part of Forrest Gump is just Tom Hanks gives a very rich performance here and just his – chemistry with everyone is fantastic but i guess if i had to pick an arc i don't know i always i always got a kick out of the ping pong stuff because it's so again like the running thing it's so ridiculous it's like this guy is great at ping pong because he got shot in the butt in vietnam and he can't do anything but play ping pong so he ends up in the olympics and meets the president it's like okay sure It is a very sweet arc. It I, is. I, it totally is. It's ridiculous. But I mean, and it, but it, to me, I could watch that arc all day. It is very nice. And just like as some like last minute quick notes about Forrest Gump, because we'll have plenty of chances to talk about it more um, as we go through the categories later. Just like what a weird career Zemeckis has had in like since Forrest Gump. I mean, like now he just kind of does. um those like weird motion capture movies oh, that are really don't, creepy. Don't start on Beowulf. Don't maybe start on Beowulf. <laughs> I, will, I will. I will. Pull, I will throw my air conditioner out the window and hit somebody because I, I love Beowulf the poem. And then I saw that movie. I was like, <laughs> just about to burn myself alive. Awful movie. Also, his most recent or me? No, actually. He did have Marwin this year, which I completely forgot existed, and I will never see it. I don't did, think anyone has seen it. Did they, I saw that. Did you get an in, shit. Did you get an insulin pen after that? Because that seemed pretty saccharine. Oh my god! Thanks. <laughs> oh hey, uh, hey, listen. Still last I, time on the pod, everyone. <laughs> hey, dad jokes coming out. <laughs> hey, listen. I have type two. I can make all the jokes I want, man. Oh <laughs> Well, um, <laughs> how to transition away from that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to transition. I was just going to say, Flight's a really bad movie too. So Mechis <laughs> has become somewhat of a hack. Um, but Although you know, I have to say, the walk like that uh, that like had some really really interesting shot. That was really well shot. I don't know if I love that movie, but like the stuff uh, with just with him on the, the tightrope was uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was uh, pretty insane. Um, but yeah, Chris Gordon Levitt being the most French person to ever be in a movie, maybe in that in that film. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't love the performances, but he. Uh, I've also seen Contact seven thousand times. It's oh, my, Contact my, is a masterpiece. It's on all the time. It's on all the time. My wife puts it on all the time. Occam's Razor. Let's talk about it, guys. <laughs> I would really like to see, like, the one real blind spot I have in his filmography is um, What Lies Beneath. The Michelle Pfeiffer film. Oh, phenomenal! Thank you very I, much. I I've never really seen it. I know just for a fact that I will love it. Like it's like I don't even really. I should just give it five stars on Letterboxd right now. But it was on a Hulu for like the longest time, and I like completely missed it. And now it's not on Hulu anymore. And I'm like, oh well, you know, life has no purpose. But that oh, is like the. It's utter schlock, but it's it's very enjoyable. 
I'm going to love it when I watch it. It's one of my, my mom's favorites, actually. I was upset she didn't buy it. Um, but, you know, what a weird career he's had. We'll talk about him a little bit more later as we get to the Best Director category. But let's move on to the other Best Picture films. And we'll talk um, next about the movie that I really love in this lineup, which I don't think many other people do, Quiz Show. Um, Robert... Redford's film about the 1954 uh, um, let me see if they have it on IMDb the exact year, 1958 quiz show um, scandal and investigation into um, the show 21 and the um, allegations that it was being rigged and it follows numerous different players in this story um, it, I guess you could argue it's an ensemble movie because the lead character sort of shifts as the arc goes on Um and it shows the way the different players were involved and the way um, it became more about shaping a narrative that worked for TV as opposed to following the rules and the implications that has for television and media in general and honesty in the media. It's a really interesting film um, that I really love, but I want to throw it to YouTube before I really get into my, my thoughts. Marissa, what do you think of Quiz Show? I'll be quick. I thought it was fine. It's well-made and thought-provoking in what it says about media, but, like, there are two main issues for me that, A, we watched Network so recently and talked about it so recently that this feels like a, um, just like a, a bargain base, like, bargain version of it. Um, and also, I, I said something like this on Letterboxd, and I'm still sort of working through my feelings on it, but, like, I don't. I can't blame the film for not being able to predict that America would go in crazier directions in, on some level based on this whole media situation and like what we're being told and, and told to believe and entertainment and all that. But like, it just seems so quaint now that I couldn't connect to it in what it was trying to do and, and say about 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 like what media and culture have done to each other and and us basically. So I just I didn't I couldn't connect with that. Even though I I am glad that Ray Fiennes is in it too, so that he could be cast in The English Patient a year later and awaken me sexually. <laughs> I can't blame you. He was very handsome he was in this so, movie I, and in English Patient. <laughs> Bill, are you dead over there? <laughs> I, uh, I knew I I was just waiting because I was watching this movie. I'm like. I bet you Marissa's going to say something about how good-looking uh, Ray Fiennes is in this movie. And he was. Like, what a handsome son of a bitch he was in this movie. Wait till uh, he gets it scruffing some sand on him in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what I told Marissa about. I'm like, man. She's like, oh, did you like the 1927 podcast? I'm like, yeah. I found out which uh, which uh, black and white and silent movie stars you're sexually attracted to. <laughs> I always... That's what this podcast is for. Just finding out who Marissa and I find sexually attractive. That's exactly what I told him. Hey, you know what? And I'm all for it. Um, I watched Quiz Show last night, like I said. Um, I actually do like Redford. Um, like, I think I like every other Redford film. Like, I like A River Runs Through It. Um, I like Bagger Vance. I have a little more of a, probably a special relationship with that, because that was playing <laughs> before my wife went into labor. Uh, oh. My daughter was born. Oh. Yeah, we were just in the hospital. I'm like, oh, Bagger Vance is on. Um and uh, although I have to say uh, The Conspirator is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life um, so I like I'm very on board with Marissa with this like I watched it and like I mentioned that line during Forrest Gump like you know TV's we're trying to TV change TV but TV's gonna change us and I'm just like well that's just 
wow, thanks, Captain Obvious. And but I remember, it, like I said before, in like 1994, that wasn't the case. We didn't have 24/7 media. We didn't have any of this. Um, I felt like, but at the same time, maybe because it's not, it was 25 years ago. I almost didn't see the point of the film. Like it's well shot. Like there's good performances. Rob Morrow's Boston accent kind of gets on my nerves because I'm just like I get it you're dropping your eyes there pretty hot there Morrow you know just like you know it's just like I'm sorry you got like you got a twirl your mustache next fucking cartoon character um I liked Ray Fiennes a lot in this movie I really like John Turturro in this movie mm-hmm. I think and um I'm flabbergasted that Paul Schofield was nominated for best supporting actor I'm like Seriously? It's like really oh, we'll talk about it. Oh, it's, oh, he's the worst. And then, like, I like, I like. Uh, there's, there's some very good parts of this film, and then, like, I am a history buff, so I like history. So I like, I like seeing something like this is something I didn't really know about. Um, also, like, David Paymer and Hank Azaria are also very good. You get good performances, but at the end of the day, I'm just like, hmm, this was good. This wasn't great. This wasn't when everyone told me how this was a great film, and you're going to love this film. Where I'm like, okay, it's good, but I don't see what the whole point of this movie was. Where as other, as heavy-handed as some stuff Redford does is, I could see the point with some of it. Like, Lions for Lambs, very anti-war, very heavy-handed. Um, you know, like, I got, like, what he was doing for with The River on Stewart. Like, this, I'm like, oh, what are you going for here? It's just, like, the loss of American innocence. Okay. Was a really a quiz show what corrupted American innocence? You know, there's probably 50 other things you could point to. Right. Uh, all the president's men, a film he was involved in, is probably more of a <laughs> an explanation of where we lost our innocence. I yeah. mean, like, and, and realistically, this damn movie becomes outdated the day it comes out because like the OJ case changes everything in 94. Exactly. Like the Bronco chase changes like CNN becomes CNN because of that that moment in culture and it happens this exact same year. Yeah, and it's just like it, it, like again like I think Redford also is a very good has a very good eye in a lot of his films for for filming stuff. I felt that was kind of lost in this one. Except some of the close-ups were good, but like t- I've seen better Redford movies in Quiz Show. So I'm crying because this movie's my baby. Um, no, no, it's not um, bad. It's not bad at all. Like I enjoyed it, but I'm just like, okay, it's 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 fine. <laughs> no, um, I'll just decide. I actually I don't really have a relationship with Redford as a director. Um, I think actually the only film of his I've seen other than this one is Ordinary People. Um, I've definitely seen like A River Runs Through It, but I have no memory of it. I just think because it was such a staple of like. 90s cable i must have seen it in the 90s um yeah i just have no memory of it um but um yeah this movie i actually watched it in college um shortly after learning about this story in one of my classes and um i totally agree with you all in a sense that it's i don't think it's like you can point to this specific historical event and use it as like the breaking point of american media um i think it's perhaps a little uh, heavy-handed in the way it explores that, but I just think there's something so removing the historical context of it and what it's trying to say. It is such a compellingly made drama in a way that I think I, I can't connect with, like Forrest Gump or some of the other films nominated this year. Like Redford just does it in this really old-fashioned, really um, just entertaining and effective way where I'm constantly like enthralled in the human drama of each scene. There are just some specific moments, almost all of which involve John Turturro, who I think is amazing in this movie. Um, like little moments with him 
um, that are just, like, heartbreaking. Like, I really, I always get, like, a little emotional with the scene when he's testifying and he thinks that, like, near the end where he thinks he's winning um, the affections over of the the people as he's talking about, like, like proving that they're being fed the answers. And then when he tries to show that Ray Fiennes is also being fed the answers and they all just, like, disagree with him because um, they're like, oh, well, he's from a rich family, you're from a poor family. Like, we just assume he's right. And it's like, John Turturro's face in that scene crushes me. It's such a good performance. Yeah, especially like, when they bring in the part where there's like, oh, have you been checked for mental illness, too? And it's mm-hmm. just, and you just see him just just die under the spotlight. It, 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 you're right. It, that is a, a crushing, crushing moment for his character. And you really feel it. It's so good. I I'm still, like, just shocked he wasn't nominated and we'll talk about actors in a little bit but like it is sort of baffling <laughs> that it was paul paul Scho- schofield who was nominated when i don't think he's bad in the film but it's just like out of all the performances like that's the one they all <laughs> they all gravitated towards and um I, even though i think it involved more like him being a hollywood legend um or like an acting legend than him being a particularly good actor <laughs> um mm-hmm. in this film but um, no, I just I really love the um, the just the drama of it all. Like, I think it's a really effective piece of dramatic filmmaking. It is very funny that I I would argue this is the only film of the five that are not like seen as modern classics to some level, or at least like widely known. Like I don't think many people talk about Quiz Show anymore, um, even though it is streaming on Netflix and it has been like consistently for the past few years basically um and um yeah i just want to kind of like do we have like do we have any additional thoughts other than what we already talked about on like why we don't think it's been as widely discussed other than it also was just not as big of a box office hit as the other four but um any thoughts on like just its place through the, the last 25 years like is it like rightfully um forgotten Uh, I say yes, because, I mean, partially because of what I said earlier about, you know, OJ, the OJ thing, like the bigger shift in television happened this year, like the year that this came out. And and this feels especially now feels so slight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also like if you look at the other picture, the films nominated that year. And like we said, 94 is a stacked year for movies. Like, what performance from that, while Totoro is really good, what performance is going to stick to your ribs or has, sticks to the mainstream public's ribs like Tom Hanks did? Or, like, mm-hmm. is it a seminal rom-com like Four Weddings and a Funeral? Or does it have, a, you know, is it influential and oddly done, unique at the time, like Pulp Fiction? Or is it, perfor- like, or, you know, like we are saying with uh, Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman from Shawshank, like, it doesn't have any of those things to be like, wow, here's the big wow moment of this whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, while good, not great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do think it's, it is interesting. It just, it's, it's, I think... The first time I saw it, which was when I was in college, long before we even had this idea of this podcast, um, I think when I watched it, I was watching it in this like method, like free of the the grander context. And for me, it was just like, oh, like this is a really effective drama. And I do think it's just interesting looking back at it from just like twenty five years later. And I'm like, oh, like 
it is this movie that feels like a relic of a different era, which I think I liked at the time because I kind of miss these relatively bigger budget, like period piece dramas that just major studios aren't making anymore. But um, yeah, it does feel like a relic in more ways than one. But that's more than anyone I think has talked about Quiz Show in 10 years. It also so. was released in a really like it was released in the much like Shawshank was released in a real death trap time. It was like early September of, of 94. So you're not like you're not exactly pushing it like the week before there was a police academy sequel that was released. So you're not exactly in the like fertile crescent of like blockbusters or, you know, Oscar films or shit. It's also just fascinating. The other big films that were players in that season that were nominated in acting categories or um, like technical categories. It's sort of interesting that it got into Best Picture, but not films like Bullets Over Broadway or films like Little Women that showed up elsewhere. I don't know. Just I guess people love Red. Unless any of you have theories about why it might have been one of the top five. <laughs> no, I'm sure it. Yeah, I'm sure it's a Redford thing. And and listen, it's really well made. It's, oh, yeah. It's, yeah, I could see where at the time it felt really like important, and well, I think Bullets Over Broadway is basically a that was right after the Sunni Previn thing, so that's probably why that didn't get in. But um, and people weren't looking at like a Lion King and saying, "Oh, let's do that," or Ed Wood was considered way too weird. You know, they weren't going for that. Right, it's right. fascinating. What a weird year because ninety four. We'll talk about films in general from there that we think should have been nominated, but like it's interesting that. So many of the classics were not nominated for Oscars elsewhere. I don't know. Interesting year. Mm-hmm. But let's move on to back to the classic films from this era. Um, let's go to Shawshank Redemption, a movie that I like. It is forever tied to my memory because I watched it for the first time on my last day of high school. <laughs> no, no reason particularly. Just my friends and I chose to watch that. It was one of the films streaming in like the early version of Netflix um, watch instantly and um, yeah this is of course the Stephen King adaptation um, about two prisoners played by Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman and their friendship over the course of numerous years in Shawshank Prison which is a pretty abusive and um, stifling place for them and um, Marissa what are your thoughts on Shawshank Redemption? Oh, I love it. I've seen it. um, This is probably the film I've seen the most in my life. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember it so well that I I wrote for something for the site about it when we did a 1994 retrospective. And then also I I realized while watching that, watching it that time um, on DVD that I I knew it. I'd seen it so many times that I could tell you where the commercial breaks are on <laughs> on television. Because that is when, a that is a TNT TBS oh, staple. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's on TNT or TBS basically twenty four hours a day. You can catch up. I'm sure it's playing at least one, on two channels at this mo- very moment. Um, <laughs> it's like so star, yeah, it's I, like stars in Pulp Fiction. Always on. Exactly. Um, I love it. I still love it. Um, I actually don't know if I can look at it critically anymore. Like. To me, it's just like, this is canon. I don't, I can't look at it. Like, I can't tell you if it's good or bad. Like, as a film person who usually does that. Like, I just, I've seen it too many times. It is too familiar. It is like, it's like a family member at this point. You know, I just, I can't really, I can't really look at it. So maybe it's bad, but I couldn't tell you because I still enjoy it. No, yeah, I, um, I'll save my thoughts for after Bill. Bill, 
What are your thoughts on Star Trek Redemption? I, I like you. I saw on Netflix, but I was uh, I was DVD Netflix. So yes, I did get it shipped to my house. Um, no. It was actually one like uh, when I first got Netflix when I moved out of my house for the first time um, post college. I moved to an apartment with one of my best friends in Red Bank, New Jersey, and I was like, I got Netflix, and I'm like, dude, let's watch Shawshank. He's like, I've never seen it. And I remember we were just like, it was like late. We just made some popcorn, hit the lights, and we just sat there. And I remember my jaw just being agape the whole time. I didn't think I even ate anything. Like, the acting in this movie is just phenomenal. Um, and it's not just, and it's like not just from the main cast either. Like Bob Gunton as the warden, William Sadler, Clancy Brown, who people might remember as the Kurgan from Highlander. Um, I always just want to. I've always wanted to throw a Highlander reference in an Oscar podcast. Sorry, <laughs> um, but it's like Gil Bellows. He he was really cool getting it too. And it's just like it's just this absolutely awesome, engrossing. Film just about a man who's been like you know you you question what he who he is he's questioning who he is and you just watch his character develop over these years and it, it's ah it's it's hard like Marissa like you said like since I've seen it so I was two thousand six probably to me it's like almost in the DNA at this point because it's on so much and I can't take my eyes off of it it's on TV I'm like well I gotta watch Shawshank you know and it's just such a great film of just and it's just ridiculous acting in it it's super well done for as a film absolutely love this is and like i said this is an american classic and at the time you know it didn't do you know gangbusters at the box office but it was uh it's become this movie of that people pass down yeah oh have you seen shawshank have you seen shawshank and you know the new generations of film lovers you discover it and 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 love it just as much it's just an awesome piece of filmmaking Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I. Matt's like I this don't movie think, sucks. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, I don't think I'm quite as passionate as either of you, but I do like it a lot. Um, it is, yeah, like I mentioned, um, I watched it my like like literally the day before I graduated high school, um, because my friend and I were just looking for a movie to watch, and we both really really liked it. Um, I think Frank Darabont. And Stephen King are just like a great match in general. Um, mm-hmm. I think they both have great sensibilities. I would literally watch Frank Darabont adapt almost any of Stephen King's books except for maybe Carrie. Um, and um, I just think like their sensibilities are just so so similar. And I think they're great. It's it's great drama. It, it Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman are both wonderful. I think there's a reason that Morgan Freeman's performance here. Of informed everything he's done since this since this movie because he's just so wonderful in this part and um yeah i no real complaints i think it's really really strong and great drama honestly i i love when stephen king does um non-horror works and his they're adapted to the film i mean like stand by me i think is just as wonderful i i want to talk about the other frank darabont Stephen King adaptation as well. And oh, it's like, oh, you want to talk about season one of The Walking Dead? <laughs> <laughs> I fully forgot Frank Darabont did season one of The Walking Dead. <laughs> and, um, season. What was that? It's the only good season. <laughs> I It's the only season I watched, um, but I don't remember it very well. But um, 
the actually Frank Darabont and Stephen King did The Mist together, but we're not going to talk about that one. Um, we're going to talk about Green Mile briefly and just compare them. I really like Green Mile. We talked about that as well in our first episode together, Marissa, um, 1999 episode. I think that one works a little bit more because I like the magic realism aspects. Um, Bill, have you seen Green Mile? Nope. Really? It, I, it's 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 a blind spot in my filmography. It's been on my list for years. I just never got around to see it, guys. I apologize. Wow. As someone who owned a TV at in the last 20 years, I actually just can't believe that. Like that's No, that's I know. But it's it's like one of those movies where it's just like, oh, it's like, oh shit, the Green Mile's on. And it's like in the and then I'm like, all right, let me t- turn it on. And it's like, oh, it's in the middle of the Green Mile. I cannot watch it yeah. from here. And uh, that has literally been my my it's the MO with the Green Mile. Or it's like one o'clock in the morning and I'm like, Yeah, I'm not gonna watch a four hour Green Mile on TNT right now. I'm gonna go to bed. <laughs> So, unfortunately, I can't contribute to this part of the uh, discussion. That's interesting. Well, then, this this segment might not work because Marissa and I have already talked at length about The Green Mile. But, um, Marissa, which of these films do you prefer? Um, I don't know. I mean, they're the same thing to me. I watch both of them thousands of times on television. Probably, you know, I I have a couple more years with, with Shawshank because it came out earlier, but... Yeah, I can't say. I mean, these are both, like, films where, like, if my dad and my mom and I were flipping through channels, it'd be like, oh, Shawshank is on, let's watch that. Or, oh, Green Mile's on, let's just watch that. I don't know if we ever had a a time where we'd have to choose between the two. So I don't, I've never made the choice, and I I don't think I would. You know, like, I'd probably catch (laughs) the shorter of them on the (laughs) Eastern feed and then watch Green Mile on the Western feed. You know, I don't know. They are both ridiculously long, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of funny as well, um, where you really would take a, quite a bit of your day to watch them both. But they really are great. They're kind of like the definitive prison movies from like this era, in a way. Um, God, I don't know. More Stephen King adaptations. I th- that's what I mainly want to say. I'm just always here for Stephen King adaptations. I'm happy he's kind of having this like renaissance now. And one thing he, about uh, Frank Darabont, too, with this, the performances I was talking about, is like, this could easily have gone way out of control with the performances here. And, like, Darabont does a great job in keeping all the performances just right. Like, everyone could have been way... In lesser hands, this could have been way over the top, and it could have been just, like, a, you know, scene-shoeing mess. But Darabont really, you know, he's able to rein everyone in in the perfect ways. And um, also, Roger Deakins' cinematography in this, oh, mm-hmm. ah, beautiful. Yeah. He's that go-to guy. I mean, he actually, no, he just won an Oscar. I was going to say, never mind, he won for Blade Runner. I f- fully forgot that was a thing. Um, no shade towards Blade Runner. I like that one. Yep. But um, the, just, you know, like you said, it could have been scenery chewing, but I think Darabont just has this really great grasp on, like, Hollywood melodrama, um, which is why it's kind of astounding that the Majestics did not work as well as it did. Um, he just knows how to, like, dial into that. And, create this these films that just like feel comfortable and easy to watch and like as dark as both of the films green mile and shawshank get like there's something very comforting about them and just i don't know he's a really lovely filmmaker i think darabont and i would love to see him more um all right that's let's move on to the next film we're not gonna talk about pulp fiction yet we gotta save that for next for last um Let's talk Four Weddings and a Funeral, a movie that um, I would say is still kind of up on the list. Any list of like 
best romantic comedy. Like I feel if you were to Google like most popular romantic comedies or best romantic comedies, it's it's always there. Um, especially in the UK, it's it's kind of like a phenomenon there. There was just that um, what is Red Nose Day? Mercy know about this more than I do. I think with like oh, the, I certainly know about it. <laughs> can you describe the way for wed- for weddings are still remembered um, today? Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's funny, I I hadn't watched Four Weddings in a long time before I watched that. But anyway, like Red Nose Day, which is way bigger in Britain than it is here. Definitely. Um, they did a, like a, a, a mini, like 20 minute sequel to, to, to Four Weddings and a Funeral. And it came out, I think last year, like late last year or, or early this year. I, th- this year has been very busy for me, so I don't know what day it is anymore. But, um, <laughs> it was like the children of Hugh Grant's character and Kristen Scott Thomas's character huh. characters get married, but they're it's two daughters and it's Lily James and Alicia Vikander. And I was like, shut your face. I know. <laughs> Why is this not a full feature length film? I want to watch those two fall in love on screen. Thank you very much. Alicia Vikander wears a suit and a, and a, like a bolo tie. I was like this fucking lesbian realness. Like where is this film? Um, yeah, that's, I think that's its that should be its enduring legacy because my god it's so I like I I like watched a like phone camera recorded version of it cuz it's like not online anywhere which is really annoying like it's gone the, the video I watched was like gone a day later cuz it was like copyright law bullshit Oh wow Yeah that's funny god, I I see like the photo of them everywhere on Twitter um just for the past like month basically <laughs> yeah. um so, what are your thoughts on the film itself, Four Weddings and a Funeral? Um, I had not watched it in a long time, and um, I remembered the the funeral part of it very distinctly. But um, I, I didn't. It did not work for me at all, and I was pretty surprised by that. Um, I thought it was too episodic. Um, I'm not sure anybody really has that much chemistry. Like, there are moments between McDowell and Grant, but like, I don't know. Th- why they want to be together other than that they are both definitely sociopaths mm-hmm. because like <laughs> yep. both, I mean you you answered your own question <laughs> right I mean like they both like just hurt each other and people for fun and it's like I don't understand like what's the what's the appeal and like I've never been a fan of like Hugh Grant and his like mousy way I like him like a total douche lord in, in Bridget Jones's diary or something like that um, so I wasn't really compelled by him here. And like, I thought Annie McDowell got a lot of shit for that, her acting in originally when it first came out, but I kind of thought she was really compelling in this. Um, I don't know what any of her character's motivations are, but I liked her, my time on screen or time on screen. Um, the only person I thought was any like, like really compelling was, um, or like really playing a full person was Kristen Scott Thomas. Um, mm-hmm. who also ruins my life uh, a year later in, in uh, The English Patient. Um, oh, I was going to say, not Mission Impossible? <laughs> <laughs> also that. Oh, God, yes. Um, she's been ruining my life for a couple decades now, but um, the only reason I'm glad this exists now is because of that, that Red Nose Day thing. Like, truly, I I just... That's, that's time well spent. I would like to get that 19-minute clip on a DVD. Thank you very much. Before I throw over to Bill... I want to comment on something you mentioned about Andy McDowell because it is kind of fascinating just to see how much she was like, just like the, how negative the reception was about her and how like her career never really 
like she never followed it up with anything really. Like she's always, I mean, she's still around. She's still doing things. Um, but like you'd think with this romantic comedy getting so many nominations, like she'd become like the next big thing. And she clearly wasn't. Um, I think she's fine. Like you mentioned, there's like there, there's no way anybody could have made this character work. Like um, she's insane. It is truly nuts. It was funny. Um, so I'll just go into my thoughts on the film before because it's hard to talk about this movie without doing it. Um, I saw this movie in middle school because my, I love romantic comedies. We talked about this, um, and I was like, oh well, this is like the most famous one from like my, my lifetime, and I really didn't like it. And I didn't really. I, I mean, I couldn't remember why now, but like I just remember really not liking it back in middle school. And then I watched it again just last week to get ready for this and. It's really interesting because I like it more now. I really love the dynamic between the friends in it, like Hugh Grant, Kristen Scott Thomas, the other the other guys. Um, like I see a lot of um, my own friend group in it is like of just like that codependence and like that might not be the most healthy as you go about um, trying to maintain adult relationships. <laughs> this makes my friends, my friend group sound very toxic, but I love them all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've met some of your friends. They're actually very nice people. <laughs> no, no. I mean this in the highest way. Like we all love each other to a point where we're like, should we even bother dating? No, we get everything we want out of a romantic relationship from each other. So it's fine. Um, but like, I love all the friend stuff in this. And then the main romance is so fucking weird. Like, they, not only do, do they not have chemistry, like, I think they're both fine separately, but, like, I have no reason to believe that they should be together. <laughs> but then also, they just don't write them a backstory. Like, it got to a point where I was kind of like, like, he's really, spoiler alert for a 25-year-old movie, like, he's really going to leave a girl at the altar who he also doesn't seem interested in <laughs> for a girl who he barely knows who he found out was divorced, like, an hour ago. And it's, it's just insane. Like, it is this weird movie there's a that in the in the final scene when they get together um there's that great line that Andy McDowell has where she's like I didn't notice it was raining and I'm like that's a really good line I wish a better couple was like having that line but yeah what a weird fucking movie of just like romance Bill what are your thoughts on Four Weddings and a Funeral so my first time I ever saw this movie was um on a plane and probably in 94 95 I want to say or maybe 96 and it was like a confluence of my parents favorite things it was like the guy who wrote it I wrote Mr. Bean and my dad was a big Rowan Atkinson fan <laughs> and my mom loves rom-coms so they ordered it we all put on headphones and being like I don't know between the ages of 12 13 and 14 I'm like this movie sucks <laughs> I hate this movie <laughs> you know because I'm just like I've seen you know I've watched most rom-coms because that was my that's my you know being at home a lot my only child my mom watched them a lot so I watched them with her um now watching it years and years and years tw- you know, 25 years later um, it's fine. You know, I, I, I get the appeal of it. I mean, they're making a show based off of it. Uh, Which I'm really happy, actually. It's it a great cast. And uh, Mindy Kaling, Andy McDowell, I, I think, is going to be in it. Um, mm. So it's like, yeah, th- it, this is fine. Um, you know, I get at the time it was it was fresh and it was different. And that's probably why I got nominated. But at the end of the day, this is not something I'm going to revisit unless my wife is watching it. Um, I did like Hugh Grant in this movie. I do like... And I like you were saying, Matt, I like, I like his interplay with his friends. Like, that's a really fun part to watch this. But again, it's like him and Andy McDowell. It's just like, okay, sure. 
this is what we're going you're both nuts you deserve each other you're going to hatchet murder each other in 10 years that's the movie I want to see when we have to solve that mystery and that's what I figured I mean like I like I said I get why it was nominated but at the same time like not my favorite yeah it's it really is I love the friend scene so much I love I mean like we can get into I mean we don't have to but like there's the you could argue again spoiler alert that like it does a whole barrier gaze thing by like killing the gay guy randomly but I love that funeral scene that like is a very powerful moment um and it's it's I, I wish it was a whole movie about his friends and that's about all I can say. My other bullet point that I kind of want to explore with this other than the, the TV show adaptation, which I'm very excited for um, because the cast is wonderful. I want to talk about the film's writer, Richard Curtis, who would go on to do Notting Hill, which I do love important preface um, and then love actually and about time and pirate rate, oh, pirate radio. <laughs> uh, I, I think every single dad i've ever met says about time kills them it is just something about that movie oh <laughs> well, you know because um, I, I mean i lost my dad so i was you know to, you deal with that it's just like just just knock me out pour me a drink i don't want to cry watching that movie every time um it's a great movie it's a great movie i love it and um he also did pirate radio which i've never seen but oh that is a really fun underrated movie that a lot of people didn't get but I liked it. I worked in radio for a hot minute, so I, I appreciate it more than most, I guess. But the important question I wanted to talk about with, with Richard Curtis, who, as we've all established, we, we, I think most of us like at least one of his movies. Um, has he ever met a woman? <laughs> That's like <laughs> the main question I wanted to ask, because a thread I've noticed in his films <laughs> is just like every woman is the exact same in all of his movies, and like I don't know if you call them a manic pixie dream girl because they're not quite accomplishing that task of. I mean, in about time, I was. I guess they are. I was going to say, like, she absolutely is that. Yeah, <laughs> about time is not very fresh in my memory, but like they're not really teaching men a lesson in four weddings and a funeral or um, love, actually specifically. But like, women are just so bizarre in his movies. Like, do you like? Do you guys know what I'm? I'm trying to. Like approach with this. Yeah, you know, I never Absolutely. asked myself the question: Has Richard Curtis met a woman before this moment? But I, you know, I I think there's a lot of evidence that the answer is possibly no. He may have read about them in books printed in the yeah. days of yore, but you know, <laughs> probably not. Not not any modern literature for sure. And it's sort of baffling because he also wrote Notting Hill, which I love. Um, I believe by the time this episode is out, it will there'll be something online on our site about yeah. it. I don't remember when it. Yeah, there will. Yeah, be. okay. Um, so like, I love Notting Hill, and I think as it will say in that piece, like, I think he writes Julie Roberts' character really, really well. But that's like a bit of a difference because it's more about like a celebrity, like than like the fact that she's a woman. Yeah. Um, it just it's always something that's, that's baffling because like Love Actually is another film that like. I loved pro- at the time, and then I returned to it just this last Christmas season, and I'm like, "What the fuck is this movie?" And like, that's another one where every couple in it needs to go to therapy, <laughs> and like, four weddings and a funeral, they need to go to therapy. So Richard Curtis, go meet some women, and go <laughs> go to therapy, and also come on the pod <laughs> because we want <laughs> more famous people to come on our pod. <laughs> we only ask people we shit on to come on the pod. Have you ever noticed? <laughs> <laughs> 
I would love to just engage with it. I don't think we've ever talked about someone that we fully hated. And it's kind of fun. So, yeah, four weddings. What a four weddings at a funeral. Not the not the reality show. What a what a weird little film. Um, anyone have any last thoughts on four weddings at a funeral before we move on? Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah, we got this next one's going to be the. It's going to be a bulk of a conversation for a while. Yeah, buckle in for an hour, people, because we're talking about Pulp Fiction. Um, obviously, it's Quentin Tarantino's insanely popular film about hitmen, gangsters, boxers, gangsters' wives, boxers, <laughs> Bo- boxers. <laughs> boxers is much better, I think. <laughs> I said boxers. I, I I mispronounced names, not professions. Um, and um, various other hard-boiled characters in this in these intertwining stories. You've all definitely seen it. I'm not going into this plot any more than I have to. Um, we're going to get pretty complicated with this one. So let's just throw it over um, to to Bill. What is your relationship with Pulp Fiction? What do you think about it now, etc.? Well, I have like a funny. Like like history with it, I guess, and actually like not funny, weird, funny, haha. So my dad and I rented a movie from Easy Video probably in 1995, 96, probably 95, and because um, he likes Bruce Willis, so he's like, ah, it's Bruce Willis, yeah, let's rent that, you know, classic All American Dad. Um, we got like 20, 30 minutes into that movie, and he looked at me, he was like, we are turning this off now, because <laughs> I was 13 or 14, and I think okay. um, Uma Thurman was starting to overdose on heroin. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to, yeah, we're not going to that. So, fast forward a year or two later, I actually recorded it off um, New York, C- well, now CW affiliate, WPIX Channel 11. So it was a very, very edited version of that film. Like, oh, wow. let's just say the GIMP stuff doesn't even happen. Um, and um, this movie to me and is a very important film. And it's an important film in this respect. When I watched it, it challenged what I thought of film. Like, I, I started noticing music more, and I noticed editing in this, and I noticed, you know, he told a story very differently. And I was like, wow, I like this. And I, I think I want to delve into different types of films. So it really opened me up to watching different types of movies instead of the usual, you know, 14, 15, 16-year-old boy watching run and gun, testosterone fuel action films and, you know, poop joke filled comedies. You know, that's what I watched. I was a teenage boy. And um, and I was like, wow, there's a lot of cool things out there about movies. I want to find more movies like this that challenge me or very, just have very interesting parts of them. Um, to me, like, I like this movie. It's on all the time. So when I catch it, I watch it. But I think this movie also, like, kind of crystallizes a lot of problems in Quentin Tarantino's storytelling and him as a director and filmmaker. Um, first off, it's not my... It's, I don't even think this makes my top five Tarantino movie. Because I do really like Tarantino as a director. But I think Reservoir Dogs is much better. Um, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think Interesting. Interesting. I, I like that movie a lot better. It's just like... Just from a personal taste standpoint, I'll watch Reservoir Dogs. If it was on, you say, hey, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, I'll watch Reservoir Dogs. Um, I also like Steve Buscemi a lot, probably, that's why. And it's, uh, this movie, like, there is definitely storytelling problems with this, and you see this throughout his films. Um, I also, even from when I first saw this movie, I'm just like, wow, the whole Bonnie situation sequence, like, his use of racial epitaphs and especially by a white character, uh, really did not sit well with me. 
and still won't sit well with me as mm-hmm. long as I, he makes movies. Um, yeah. His treatment of women, I also noticed from a young age, wasn't a big fan of, and it's something that's continued. And and there are times where his stories have like, they're just they just kind of they start strong and the finish isn't there. And I'm not going to be one of and, and especially given everything that's come to light on him, it's not always easy to watch his films. And I get why people don't like him. To me, I think there's a lot of things he does really well. Like I said, with music, I think he gets really good performances out of people. As we saw, like John Travolta gets nominated for an Oscar here. Um, he and he knows how to pick people from obscurity and give them really good roles. He does he does create some interesting characters. And with this film, he does a lot of cool things with the way he tells a story. Where we've made Pulp Fiction almost like a verb, you know, when we Pulp Fiction did. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there's still a lot of problems with this movie, and the reason it didn't win Best Picture. Um, like I said, like there's the whole scene with Bruce Willis, like that whole segment isn't good, you know. Like yeah, they, yeah. Make, they make we, we'll his, talk about that. <laughs> they make his, they make Fabienne his girlfriend. Like it's like a, an atrociously written character, and it, I'm just like, you could have tried and made her better, or given her better direction, and made her less of a cartoon character that, and made her less of like you're basically calling her an idiot this whole time. So why are they together? The whole GIMP sequence, again, is like gratuitous and and really demeaning. And like, why, why are we even going here? But again, I do like a lot of the performances and I do like the way the story's told. Like I so said, like, I like the music. And um, like I said, I've been a Tarantino fan for a long time. I, but I, there, he's made a lot of shit too. Like Death Proof is a fucking terrible movie for so many reasons. Like, I didn't even bother watching The Hateful Eight. I'm just like, this movie looks like garbage. I'm not going to watch it. I do want to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but, you know, there's more debate on that we'll have later. I'm sure Marissa and I will do a podcast on that. But it's like, I really like Tarantino, but his flaws are very evident in all his films. And, um, but I see why this was nominated, because at the time it was like, whoa, this is like, a lot of people thought this was real groundbreaking filmmaking. So I see why this, this got nominated um, and, uh, yeah, those are my thoughts on Pulp Fiction, you know. And who knew my dad was, uh, be so mad at me when we went to that movie. <laughs> Marissa, um, what are your thoughts on Pulp Fiction, but also just Tarantino in general, since I think we're going to have to just go into him as a whole. <laughs> Complex. I mean, I caught this, I think, a- after I had seen Reservoir Dogs, and after I had seen the kill, the first Kill Bill at the very least, and I really liked the first Kill Bill because I was into kung fu movies, and so was my mom. So it was like great for us. Um, and I think I caught, I know I caught this on. It was, I was watching it on a like a holiday weekend, um, and it was gonna air on like at like midnight on a cable channel. And I was like, all right, I'll stay up for this. I, I want to finally see this movie. But it was also the day that. Um, the uh, daylight savings ended or started or whatever. So it started an hour later. So I just had to like, I watched this thing at like one to four in the morning one, one day. And I was like, God, I really regret this. Um, But I had like committed to watching it. Um, So yeah, that sucked. (laughs) But um, that was my first experience with it. And I ended up missing the first 20 minutes anyway, because the the schedule was wrong. So it was like fucking a, um, but yeah, and then I, you know, bought it on DVD and watched it a bunch of times. And um, it had been a while since I'd watched it, and since the last time I'd watched it, all this this sort of stuff about Tarantino had happened, and he'd made his couple, last couple films, and 
been sort of a dick and and I'd re re examined what was like what was interesting about any of those films and what I like about them and is there wasn't a lot um and I also I have a friend who um he like runs a cinema department at at at, at NYU and like at, we joke about every year how like how many of the incoming freshmen write about pulp fiction for their 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 entrance essay and it's like it's always a majority so many like it still is the thing that like every boy wants to write about when they're trying to get into film school and like i get it like sure it felt like a revolution at the time um you know the way that it played with narrative structure was interesting and i think is the thing that makes it interesting like if you set these all all these stories out one by one by one, I don't think it would be any interesting. It wouldn't work at all. Um, and like, but I, I don't know. I think my, there, there are things that are undeniable in the filmmaking. Like a lot of things you pointed at Bill. like, um, the storytelling works, the, the confidence in the filmmaking, I think is really impressive. And, and what makes it so compelling now? Like he knows his dialogue is weird and interesting and, a play on everything you've heard before. Um, so you'll pay attention to it and just go on a journey with him. And a lot of these actors are really compelling. Um, but I think it gets harder and harder as time goes on to enjoy the things that are good about it. Um, because you, and still like, it's harder to ignore the things that are horrible about it. Like the rampant sexism and homophobia and, and constant racism. Like, it is so exhausting to sit through this hateful fucking film. What, and can, like, can I, ask you I one, don't know. Can I ask you one question about that? Cause yeah. Why? Do, I, I still don't get, cause like I, you know, I was still, even though I was not, you know, out of the womb, like Matt, like <laughs> I don't remember this, like that part being like really brought up when this film came out. Like if this movie came out today, like this movie would be like, not done by Quentin Tarantino, let's just say, yeah. say by anybody else. This movie would be killed. Well, even at, even done by Tarantino, like he's done shit like this realistically in in later times. Like mm-hmm. the Hateful Eight is honestly even more racist and sexist than this fucking thing. Well, you know what? And like, I didn't fucking watch it. <laughs> yeah, don't watch it. It's so no. bad. So like, I just think the culture changed, and he hasn't. That's the that's the mm-hmm. difference now. Is like. I used to watch Pulp Fiction maybe 10 years ago and think, oh, interesting. Like, this is quite a piece of filmmaking. I see why people are into it. But we've changed, and all of us have changed, but he keeps refusing to change. And despite being told that he's an asshole, even by a personal friend, like, he, like, in 10 years, I if he's still pulling this shit, I don't know he's going to be like not working on a big scale anymore. Eventually the culture is going to turn on on him enough. And we're almost at that point. We're yeah. about five years away from full, full dismissal. I would say, um, I think this next movie is going to be the big one for him. Yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting, um, to see how that movie's received, especially like, I mean, a few people, the, the critics who saw it know, but like, how they handle the actual Sharon Tate murder and everything like that. But we can talk about once upon a time in Hollywood over the summer. Um, in terms of Pulp Fiction and my relationship with it, um, I've definitely mentioned this podcast before, but like, you know, Tarantino, like many 
people, um, like high school aged boys into movies. Like Tarantino was like a really big deal when I first got into him. For me, it was actually Pulp Fiction was the last film I saw of his because I had this weird oh, thing. Yeah, I have this weird thing even today where like if I discover a new filmmaker. Um, I'm always like afraid to start with his most acclaimed movie or her most acclaimed movie. Um, like, so I always like save that one for last and I don't know why, but so I specifically made sure to save Pulp Fiction for last. The film that really like turned me on Tarantino was Inglorious Bastards, which is probably actually the only one of his films that I can watch today without feeling a little icky about, even though it's been a few years, so maybe that'll change. <laughs> but, um, I do. I like that movie a lot. I love Inglourious Bastards, um, and I also really love Kill Bill, and I love Jackie Brown. But um, what's happened, like, so, you know, when I saw Pulp Fiction in high school, really liked it. Definitely was not at the time, like, one that I loved, like like the, his other films that I mentioned before. But um, I really liked it. I actually went as um, a senior in high school with my friend Anna, who listens, so hi, Anna. Um, um, Anna and I went as... Um, Mia and Vincent for Halloween in our senior year, and it was a uh, it was fun. So like, I clearly like loved that movie at least enough to dress. Did you have up. a Did you have a Vincent Vega wig on? I did. Okay, but was... so I want that in your theater camp video, like eventually <laughs> to put on my front door at some point. It was actually a repurposed hippie wig. <laughs> some trivia effects because um, I was a hippie better. the year before. Um, anyway, so. <laughs> Yeah, so like I definitely loved the movie in high school. Did not watch it at all since high school until literally just last night. When I actually watched it with two people who had never seen it before and knew just of its reputation, like did not know oh, the wow. plot, were aware of like Mia like Mia's existence as a character and everything like that. But um just it was a very interesting experience to watch it with them. And it's kind of like you both have said it's kind of appalling at points to watch now. Like I'll get to Bruce Willis. Cause I have a lot of thoughts on that whole arc. Um, the Bonnie situation, like you mentioned, Bill, the, the, the racial slurs in that segment, I, I fully forgot about until this viewing it. Like my friends, like gasped, like it was just like, it was so unexpected and so brutal. It happened so many times. And it's very disturbing for me because it all came back after, um, like I saw that scene again that like those lines are like considered in many canons as like famous film lines and everything like that. And I'm like, Oh shit. Like that's pretty just troubling. And same with, um, you know, like the, the way he treats women throughout the film, it never really occurred to me until this time, probably because the movie just was not, was not fresh in my brain of how just poorly written, um, like Mia's character is in the film. Like she really is just like this fantasy girl. Like my friend called her a hot topic girl. And I think, (laughs) I I think that's like a really fair point. Like she, she was about six piercings away from being legit hot topic girl. (laughs) She was the hot topic girl before there was hot topic. Um, like it's just, it's like this really just, she's a collection of like quirks and everything. She's a different and, collection of like characters he saw in movies, and just Uma Thurman just happens to nail a really good performance out of it. Oh yeah, yeah, Uma Thurman's great. It's, that is like I she's we'll talk about her when we get to the categories. Um, but like, and then even the first arc between Vincent and Mia, um, which is I think the strongest of them all, and I think that's kind of the consensus. Um, is like 
there's just there's like a weirdness to it and an ickiness to it and especially just how brutal it is and i don't know it's and then we have the whole bruce willis arc which truthfully i i don't think i will ever watch again like i'm sure i'll watch pulp fiction again um at some point in my life it's so hard not to um but like i will fast like i that whole arc to me is so disgusting and so hateful um the rape scene in it i is just fucked up and you mentioned the hateful eight before um marissa like that movie also has this gay rape scene in it um and like it's very annoying to me as a queer film goer just like that it's his homophobia goes so unchecked a lot like people call him out and there's like a lot of genuine debates about his um relationship with women and people of color and it's just i wish people had more of the nuance to understand how deeply offensive those scenes are on a massive scale because like it's it's that whole moment should be unwatchable at this point by most people and it's very annoying to me that like what's crazy is that i didn't know that that was a scene in hateful eight because i actually was like crediting that to tarantino like that sequence like really crediting that to roger avery his co-director because we never really seen anything like that in his films after well, mostly. And then when you said that, I was like, well, you know, that blows that whole theory out because Avery, a lot of the heroin stuff, a lot of like the Bruce Willis stuff was Avery had a big hand in that from what I've gathered. And then he did his own film, Killing Zoe, which is a fucking nightmare of a film. And there's a lot of like really uh, a lot of like gay rape and just like yeah, like and just it's just fucking terrible. And it's just like it's a disgusting film to watch, in my opinion. And it's just a shitty movie to begin with. Um, well, you have to think about that. Even though there's not, there, I mean, Hateful Eight has a scene, obviously, but like, even when there's not a scene, there is constantly, like, like the f word is thrown around, or like some in the dialogue, there is always some you know shot what? at gay people. You're right. No, like completely. You know, I was just thinking of the scene itself, not thinking because you're, like, yeah, I totally, I totally spaced on that whole thing. You're right. No, it's and even just sexual violence in general i mean i forgot also until i watched kill bill recently that sexual violence is a major part of that film too in a way that is really really gross and just like like so uh like flippant i think in just the way he depicts like he depicts violence in a way that is very um over the top and stylized in general which is you know he plays it for comedy a lot like yeah he plays it for comedy in this where like you can literally hear Marcellus Wallace being raped in the background and like Bruce Willis is like contemplating over what like ooh cool a samurai sword like that is heinous that's absolutely mm-hmm. heinous because it's like everybody else in that scene is completely dehumanized except for Bruce Willis's character you know what I actually yeah. thought about watching this sorry Matt uh, is like because no. I've watched it so many times and I've probably been the most positive on Tarantino I actually realized that I only watch half of Pulp Fiction every time it's on I watch no, from the beginning yeah. to when Mia is brought back to life, and then I turn it off. Yeah, that's every time. Those are the, the stronger scenes, and uh, it's just you know his two. And when we can move on from the the rape scene, but like both of his rape scenes in this film, well, both of his queer. I don't want to use it. it. Both of the rape scenes involving men, male, men on men. Um, they play into two really horrible like tropes about like gay men like in Pulp Fiction mm. it's this whole predatory thing where they're like literally like using the storefront as like a way to lure 
people in. And then in Hateful Eight, I don't, I truly like don't remember the details that well about Hateful Eight's plot in general. But like, if I, I'm like 99 percent sure it involved like a power dynamic, and it was like a, he like raped like, this character in order to like exert power and like dominance over him and then use that as like a way to then mock another like character like it was like like taunting the, like oh i managed to rape this person and it's just so gross especially since you know he's never like the argument whenever people talk about his treatment of women the argument he'll always throw out is like they put a picture of uma thurman and like in kill bill and they're like she he writes strong women and everything and it's like you know that's a whole conversation for yeah but that's the thing too it's like he he uses her rape in that as as comedy as well the big the the pussy wagon guy right Mm -hmm. and even though like it's funny that it's just funny to me that people always throw out his example of like oh like he writes strong women he has never once written a gay character who was not a rapist (laughs) and it's just it's just i don't know i think so this leads me to my grander point and what I where I think we should like I, I want to get your thoughts on watching this movie I was really reminded of another film we've discussed Marissa on the pod Gone with the Winds and the way as we discussed in our 1939 episode how movie Gone with the Wind is a very enjoyable movie on many levels there's a reason it's so it's so beloved but most filmgoers I think do quantify their love for it and say like oh like I love this movie it's also like deeply problematic it is very annoying to me that no one seems interested in quantifying their love for Pulp Fiction. It is like, we've seen it this week that we're recording about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where whenever somebody questions Tarantino and his intentions on Twitter, they're attacked by just mostly men um, who want to like defend their man. And why do you both think, like people are so unwilling to quantify their affection for him or his filmography. Is it a, to- a matter of time? Is it something greater? What, what do you both think? I think it's the time thing that I, that I mentioned earlier. And I think the misogyny is so deeply ingrained and like misogyny, racism and, and realistically homophobia is so deeply ingrained in his work and in the minds of people who aren't like examining their own issues mm-hmm. that it's that's the only way they can express wanting to not be seen as a bad guy frankly oh uh, uh, yeah uh, going off of that it's denial yes yeah. you you don't you don't want to be that guy no I'm, I'm not oh, I know I'm not homophobic or this or the, you know blah, blah. and so they don't want to poke all, and you know what I'll, I'll put it out there probably you know 10 15 years ago I would probably would have defended Tarantino because hardcore because I wouldn't be thinking I'm like oh that's mm-hmm. that's 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 not a thing but you, I think people don't have aren't open to experience aren't open to hearing people out um, who don't have the same experience as them like listening and, and uh, I don't mean to get super emotional but like listening to you guys on these podcasts throughout the years you guys have opened up parts of my brain that I never like in th- the perspectives I never thought of and that's, but I'm, and I, and I love that. And I don't think a lot of people want to be like, you know, people want to experience that and people don't want to be like, oh, I'm not a bad guy. Well, no, you, what you have to do is you have to like, I do like Tarantino movies, but there are times where I can't watch them. There's like, I'll watch Kill, have Kill Bill on and I'll be like, oh, I love this movie. Then all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, but here's the problem with this movie. And then I'll turn it mm. off, you know, or, um, sometimes I don't turn it off. And, uh, 
and it's a matter of realizing your own shit, like Marissa said, working it out, and you, you, no, no one's perfect, so you have to realize, like, why put Tarantino on this altar, where you realize that there are, there are a lot of problems with his movies, and realize what these problems are, and how we can kind of, sound like a fucking hippie, but, you know, make the world a better place, and, like, where everyone could go to a movie and not feel terrible watching it. No, yeah, I mean, thank you for <laughs> um, the compliment of our podcast. Marissa and I are here to solve racism, sexism, and homophobia. Um, we try so hard, and so few people listen. We try no, so hard. No, but I'm serious. Um, like you guys, like bring up points, and like you know, I, I try and point people, you know, on the site, outside the site. To I'm like, listen, just there, there are things here that you need to to understand, and like, oh yeah, yeah, and, and like yeah. So it's just like you got to sit there and it's like. Yeah, Tar- I understand in 1994 why people nominated this for Best Picture and why people still love this movie from a film standpoint, but there's real conversations that could be had about this show. Like, hey, Game of Thrones has ended. There's a lot of conversations that could be had about that. I still love the show, but there's a lot of things we need to improve society upon, and that was evident in Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? No, yeah, it's like, you know, and I mean, it is not an exclusive thing of, like, people that, like grew up with Pulp Fiction or whatever to like defend it like five years ago I would have defended Pulp Fiction like because it was just my memory of it and you know the culture really has changed so much especially in the past like two to three years um where it's like you know I would have even I would have defended like the rape scenes like I remembered like at the time being uncomfortable by those scenes was just kind of tossing it off as like oh I'm uncomfortable because it's meant to make you uncomfortable and like Watching it now, especially having come out since the last time I watched it, like I'm like, oh no, I wasn't comfortable at the time because I knew on some level that it was just like gross and offensive, and it, you know, film going is a growing process, <laughs> and I think like it's annoying to me that people just don't want to have that conversation because I do like a lot of Pulp Fiction, um, I do like a lot of his films in general. I mean, he's made some bad films as like Death Proof is awful, <laughs> but um, fucking so bad. I do not get that movie. But, you know, it's just like, it bothers me that we are not willing to have that conversation. Um, I think that's, I think that, I, I, I hope at least that that's going to change this summer. We'll see. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm man. much more pessimistic about it than um, I think you are, Bill. What, what about you, Marissa? How do you, where do you think this conversation could go? Um, I have no hope for the summer. I think it'll only get worse. Sorry, man. <laughs> It's, it's it's late, and I guess I'm just optimistic. <laughs> we got we got to have hope. <laughs> no, but, but no, I see I I, I see rumors is coming from for sure. I just think you know I I I don't I truly don't think Tarantino is willing to change at all. I mean, we saw this week at the week that we're recording that he like canceled all interviews after like a press conference. He had like one tough question at a, a press single conference. woman asked him a tough question, and he flipped out. And it wasn't even a particularly tough question. It was no. like it was it like and it I mean, was a was, very nuanced question that gave him a lot of room to talk. And he said, "I reject your hypothesis or whatever." There's no way. Why would his fans will take a cue from him? But and that was in fucking yeah. France, where they're much less tough on those sort of questions. Yeah. If he can't handle France, the American um, Oscar race is going to just like he's going to just like implode. And Absolutely. I'm like. If he can't God. handle foreign press, who who just lobs meatballs at people all day, oh. there's no fucking way he's going to be I'm able like, to handle as that. Soon as, as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, I am hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's true. It's like, that's a very easy, you know, it's a very 
quantifiable thing. It's like, she doesn't have a lot of lines. I bet you if we had a script, we could count how many lines she has. So justify your answer. Yeah. You know? We'll see. We'll have to regroup and talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because Tarantino's story is not done yet. But, no. you know, I think we can all agree, as we discussed, Pulp Fiction is a very important landmark in film. Its nomination in 1994 makes a lot of sense. So... Now let's go through and talk about these different categories. Let's start with Best Picture of what we would select. I actually don't know what I think we're all going to select for this one. I'll just start um, and say fully that I will go with Quiz Show because I do love that movie more than I like any of the other films. God bless it you. isn't. Yeah, it is. I, I will. <laughs> that's the hill I will die on. That I would vote for Quiz Show in the 1994 Best Picture race. Marissa, what are you filling out on your ballot? Oh. Jesus. Um, I think I'll go with Shawshank. It's the least, it's the one I think that I'll end up hating less in 20 years. <laughs> and Bill? Uh, Shawshank, I think it actually stands, um, I think it's going to stand the test of time. Like, iconic shots, iconic performances. Um, I think it, 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 it's aged better. It, it only gets, you know, I think you're going to turn more, like I said, more and more people are going to be turned on to Shawshank than Forrest Gump. Hmm. I agree, actually. Um, interesting, interesting. So let's move on to Best Director, just because it's next on <laughs> on Wikipedia. Um, the nominees were Robert Zemeckis for Forrest Gump, Quentin Tarantino for Pulp Fiction, Robert Redford for Quiz Show. I Christoph am, Kieslowski. There you go, yes. thank you. <laughs> I was in no way going to even attempt to give that name. I knew I as saw, soon as you paused, I was like, I know which one it is. I know. Which one it is. I saw the consonants, and I was like, nope, but... <laughs> That man directed Red, um, which unfortunately I've never seen because Red is part of the the Three Colors trilogy, um, and I did not want to just just watch one of them to prep for this podcast. I want to watch all three of them eventually, so I just put it off. But Marissa, have you seen Red? Yeah, I saw it last year. Actually, I, I watched the whole trilogy um, right right in the fall. There, there's someone famous. Isn't there someone famous in blue? I want to say. That one is um, uh, Juliette Binoche. Yes, that's who I thought yeah. it was, yeah. Who would also go White is um, Julie Delpy, and then this one is, there's nobody famous in it technically, but it it is actually, it wraps up the trilogy, so let's say that all of them make an appearance. Nice. Yeah. Do you, do you have any thoughts quickly on Red before we... Oh, it's a fucking masterpiece. It's the best one. Like, it's one of... The moment I saw it, I was like, "This is one of my favorite movies of all time." Bam! Holy shit! It's beautifully, well, it's beautifully watch. shot. It's a brilliant end to a, an unexpected trilogy. Like I, I think Blue is very good too, but White is sort of not great for me. But like, it's phenomenal and it's really interesting and I, it's like a weird love story type thing, but it's sort of sprawling. It's, it's you should both watch the whole trilogy. It's totally worth it. They're they're pretty short too. It's they're like all an hour and forty or something. Oh, good. I need to. I think once we take our break of the Oscar retrospective, retrospective that'll yeah. be one of my first. Um, and the fifth nominee for Best Director was Woody Allen for Bullets Over Broadway, a movie I tried really hard to find in my local library, but they apparently just don't have it. But I did see the Broadway musical, which was bad. I watched Zach- it. I watched it last night, actually. Ooh, do you want to like go into it really fast? Or yeah, it's really funny. It's um, it's about um, uh, John Cusick plays a um, playwright who. Um, writes a play and then tries to get it made and then he has to keep making all these concessions because his financier is a gangster um, who has a 
uh, Jennifer, uh, not Jennifer Holiday. Um, Jennifer Tilly. No, yeah, Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> um, uh, Jennifer Tilly is like his dumb girlfriend um, who he gets put in the play, and Diane Weiss plays this like insane, um, like very storied sort of star um, who like is basically a, is sort of doing Gloria Swanson in in, in Sunset Boulevard. Um, but she's just doing it to like trick John Cusack into writing more stuff for her. But then the play is bad. So a gangster ends up like, um, ghost writing <laughs> the, the, the rewrites. Um, and it's just a comedy about like artists and how far you're willing to push yourself as an artist to get what you want. Even if it's like, if it means like compromising your, basically selling yourself out. Um, it's very funny. You, you should try to see it if you can. It's, it's hard to get. I had to rent it from the Alamo draft houses, um, DVD library. Oh wow! Yeah. Um. So, who are we voting for 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 the best director? Um, Bill, let's start with you. Well, after everything we said, obviously Quentin Tarantino. Um, <laughs> no, uh, no, it's oh, this is a tough one. Um, I don't hate the Zemeckis call just because this would probably be one of his better movies, and the amount of work he had to get done here. So, I mean. I mean, he, obviously, I would have nominated a few other people over him, but um, who didn't make this list? But I think I probably just—I'll go Chalk. I'll go Zemeckis. Marissa, um, it's interesting. I would probably—I I actually would still even be okay voting for Tarantino, given the context of the time. Um, I would vote for anyone but Redford, but I—I'm just going to go with Kieslowski this time, just because I like that film a lot. Even though I—I—I I, I would almost give it to Woody Allen, which is crazy to say. And and Zemeckis also has a lot of like benefits. So yeah, I think I'll just give it to Kieslowski because I really like that film. Is this our first time talking about a Woody Allen movie? Um, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. We're, we're gonna have to for a while, for quite a while. Um, interesting. The interesting first Allen film to have featured. Um, it's really I actually, good. I. I I would like to I, I would like to watch it, but I want to rent it in a way where he won't get any money for it because Woody Allen can burn in hell. Um, I let's we'll go with uh, and you're not having him on the pod despite wishing him damnation. No, Woody Allen will not be invited on the pod. Woody Allen, if you're listening, you are not invited on the pod. Um, but if Jennifer Tilly's listening, Jennifer Tilly, please come on the pod. Please come on the pod. Um, we will talk about Bound. Yes, it will be an entire episode devoted to Bound, which was not nominated for any Oscars, which is a travesty. I will say she does a, de- a decent Judy Holiday impression here. It's not bad in in um, uh, Bullets Over Broadway. This was like Bills Are Row was was a big deal when it came out. It was yeah. a huge deal. It made it made good it made decent money. Launched yeah. Chaz Palminteri, um, who actually grew up with my dad. Really? Oh wow! Yeah, they ended up. He replaced my dad in a doo wop group. Um, oh, crazy. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, he's what a weird. The, he's the like ghostwriter of the play in it. Yeah, and and like my dad's like, oh yeah, I know Chaz, and I was like, oh, okay, and he was uh, yeah, so it's like. Which as well, Palminteri was super hot. That's you know through this. So, yeah, that movie was that movie was a made a big dent in Hollywood that year. Yeah. Um, I've only seen the musical, which was quite bad, but starred Zach Braff. Um, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, I would vote for Robert Zemeckis. Actually, I will. I mean, I, I agree with what Marissa said, but Tarantino, like in the context of the time, yeah, sure, Tarantino makes sense. But I actually do think, as much as I don't really care for Forrest Gump. Zemeckis' directing is really impressive. The technical stuff is really interesting. So, you know, I don't begrudge it. Robert Zemeckis, just make better movies, please. Um, 
Let's move on to the acting. Let's start with best actors. Tom Hanks obviously won. Has the interesting distinction of winning two consecutive years. He won for Philadelphia the year before. Um, also nominated, Morgan Freeman for The Shawshank Redemption. Nigel Hawthorne for The Madness of King George. Paul Newman for Nobody's Fool. And John Travolta for Pulp Fiction. Um, Marissa, who are you going to vote for? Oh, shit. Um, I, also a very good category. I will say I don't think John Travolta is as good... Now, like looking at it now, I don't think he's as good as I thought he was back then, necessarily, or a couple, you know, ten years ago or whatever. Because um, it's like he seems good because he has two of the best people playing against him at all times. Like he's great against Uma because they have chemistry and she's fucking phenomenal. And then Sam Jackson gives like basically a career defining performance in that. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know if he should have been nominated. Realistically, like I get people were like, oh, good, he's back. Um, and it was so against type too. Because yes, he was always yes. like he was like you know he was Bobarino and Welcome Back Cotter. He was like the teen heartthrob for years, and then right now he was like tubby and sloppy. And then he was in Look Who's <laughs> Who's Look Who's Talking. That was his big comeback. What was the only, <laughs> right. what one serious movie he kind of did? Was what was it? Was it Blowout? A uh, blow yes, up. Blow which up. is great. A blow oh yeah, up. no, it is Blowout. I'm thinking Blow Up is the thing it's making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blowout is great. Yeah, so, so it's good. so yeah, it's like the, and so this was like at the time it was like this was like groundbreaking for him and and, and I guess from a dramatic role probably his one of his best roles to date. You know, so yeah. no, well, I totally get why why it happened in except context, for, except for face now off. it's just hard to vote for. Which I like, heard you guys both love Face Off, so I was like, yes. oh, we love Face Off. Oh god, it's a masterpiece. Okay, um, well, let's his do- best performance. Let, to be totally we need honest. to do a face-off <laughs> retrospective podcast. I will be on that in heartbeat. 100%. Um, I think I'm going to vote for... I thought Nigel Hawthorne was really good in The Madness of King George, honestly. Okay, good. I'm happy because I was also going to go for Nigel Hawthorne. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm like, am I going to be that guy who goes for like the one that no one has seen? But no, I watched it this weekend, and I think you did too, Marissa, right? I did, um, yeah. Yeah, and it, I liked it a lot. I, it reminded me so much of The Favorite, like... Weirdly enough, um, very similar plots, very similar, ki- kind of similar tones, not quite as subversive and weird, but like a lot of the scenes of him, like in front of the subject going, as the title suggests, going mad, reminded me a lot of the favorite. Yeah. Interesting movie. Um, I would have it for him too. Bill, who are you going with? Well, the sad thing about Hawthorne was he, he was only, he died in like 2001 before he really. Because usually you see like those out of uh, you know lesser known British actors who get you know even though he was famed in the UK get those roles in the big action movies or more mainstream Hollywood stuff he never really did. Um, for me, I mean this is this was the Morgan Freeman year. This was when Morgan Freeman became the voice of God basically. But I I think I'd have to again I'll go chalk I'll go Tom Hanks because this was a role in lesser hands that would have been really really bad. Um, as much as I love Morgan Freeman, he's kind of split because Tim Robbins is a huge he's as much of a lead actor as uh, Morgan Freeman. Um, Paul Newman for Nobody's Fool. I mean I've seen clips of that. I mean he's he's good. He's Paul Newman, you know. But to me I think I don't think anyone could have pulled off Forrest Gump as well as Tom Hanks. It has aged surprisingly well. Like it should be bad performance now, it should but be it, terrible. Yeah, he's just—he's really good. That's Tom Hanks. Um, I would give him so many Oscars, honestly. Where I don't regret not giving him the one for Forrest Gump, but yeah, you know, same. A good win. Um, we'll talk about his other win eventually, and I'm very excited to do so. Um, best actress. 
Jessica Lange won for Blue Sky, a movie that sat on a shelf for three years when Orion Pictures went under. But so, um, it's so weird that Orion and Orion is back now. Like yeah. they are re-releasing things now, or which is crazy. And they still have their original. Um, like, I love it. Logo. And oh, it, no, I love yeah, it. I like. I get so like excited. Oh, I was. I saw thank, the fucking. Thank, thank you for not being the only one who gets excited by that. I do too. <laughs> no, yeah, it's so cool. I saw the Prodigy like opening weekend just for like because it's Orient Pictures, mm-hmm. and it it fucked me up. Um, anyway, so Jessica Lange won for Blue Sky. Um, Jodie Foster was nominated for Nell. Miranda Richardson was nominated for Tom and Viv, a movie that fully doesn't exist because I could not find it anywhere. Bro, it's I, I couldn't even look it up. It was insane. <laughs> I was like upset because good people are in it, and I'm like, oh, it's like impossible to find. Um, Winona Ryder for Little Women and Susan Sarantan for The Client. Um, I'm just I'll start. Um, I would 100% go with Winona Ryder. Um, I'm a huge Little Women fan. We can talk about that a little bit, um, like the book in general, but like um, this movie specifically. And I think this is like Winona Ryder's best performance. She was one of those like actresses who was just born to kind of play Joe March. Um, and I'm. I just think she's phenomenal in that movie. I really love Little Woman. We can. I'll, I'll go into it in a in a future segment. Um, Marissa, who are you going with for best actress? Um, uh, I saw Nell. By the way, have you seen Nell, Bill? I just am curious. No, man. So I'm a little. I'm a little light on this one. I've seen. I've seen parts of Nell, and I. I've seen the client. I've seen Little Women, and I've seen all the important clips of Blue Sky. Yeah. <laughs> um. The, the Nell is wild. I, I oh, it it is it is. It is <laughs> I, I had never wild. heard of it outside of the context of a joke, and like I watched it last night, and the whole time I was like, "This is a real film that was made in my lifetime." How insane! Because <laughs> yeah. it's about a like a Jodie Foster plays a girl who like has never heard anyone speak English, so she speaks her own language basically. That her twin and yeah. her mother with a speech impediment because she had a stroke. Yeah. on like half of her side uh, like <laughs> taught her um and then they try to like figure out what she's saying and it's she's like she won't come out in the daytime because she's afraid of getting raped which you know seems insane but also seems correct um but it's a really good performance i don't know if she's consistent with the fake language the whole time like I don't know if you like translated Nellie's or whatever they call it. <laughs> like it would make sense, but like she's really good in it in a bonkers role that makes no fucking sense. So I'm going to give it to Jodie Foster for like the sheer gall, even though I think Jessica Lang is like so friggin' like, like she's a fucking bombshell in oh, Blue Sky. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, I almost feel like the reason Foster didn't get it, besides the fact that. Jessica Lange was very good. Is like they're like, well, you know, Tom Hanks and her play similar characters. We don't want to give the award to two sa- the same characters because I think people really lumped Nell and Forrest Gump together as they're very sure. similar. So I feel like that's yeah. why she didn't get that. Um, I actually I didn't even realize the fact Susan Sarandon was nominated for the client. Um, that's a that's a, just a weird movie but i like susan sarandon. it's a very weird movie i yeah, like I susan seen sarandon. It in a long time I, it was on tv not long ago susan sarandon is great man i, I mean she's just susan sarandon she kills it uh, but not winning best actress killing it so i'm gonna go chalk with this one i'll go uh jessica lang because those scenes you see from blue sky it was just like there's a reason they just threw this at her because she was that good 
Oh, hell yeah. But Bill, or not Bill, um, Matt and I talked about it offline where, like, her and Tommy Lee Jones have the most unexpected and intense chemistry. And oh, yeah. I was like, what Holy the God. fuck? Like, who, who, how did this, how? <laughs> the movie did, didn't totally work for me. I think, like, it's just always at 11. Like, for those who haven't <laughs> seen it, which I think is most of you, even though it's on Amazon Prime, so it's very easy to stream. Um, like, the first fight between Jessica Lang and Tommy Lee Jones' character is, like, them screaming and throwing shit, and then she gets in a car and drives away, and he's chasing her, and it becomes, like, this, like, intense, like, very mini car chase, and I'm like, what the fuck is this movie? Like, she just is, like, always at this 11, and she's really good. Jessica Lange's, like, an incredibly yeah, talented. And the subplot is nuclear radiation. It's wild. Yeah, yeah and that was, the, that was the whole thing when that movie came out. I remember, because I was just like, I like Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, Tommy Lee Jones from The Fugitive. I like The Fugitive. And you're just reading, everyone's like, this movie is just doesn't make sense but them together and her especially whoa that's what drove that whole movie and that's what like why she won this because she she took a movie that was just like a hot mess and just owned it it should be total shit but it's totally watchable absolutely it's a weird movie as marissa said it's strange how like great like how they have such great chemistry. It is like the only movie where Tommy Lee Jones has seemed like a sexual being, and like you have not seen the eyes of Laura Mars, and you do, you better stop that. <laughs> I, I will have exactly to what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird, it's just a weird movie. Um, I don't know, strange film. Um, okay, Blue Sky. Um, Jessica Lange, though, love her. Um, best supporting actor. Martin Landau won for Ed Wood. He plays Bella Lugosi. Um, it, it's funny that we're... I mean, actually, no, Bill, you did briefly mention Ed Wood. But it's that we're just bringing it up now because I think that movie's one of the most remembered from 94. But um, also nominated, Samuel Jackson for Pulp Fiction, Chaz Palminteri for Bullets Over Broadway, Paul Schofield for Quiz Show, and Gary Sinise for Forrest Gump. This is kind of an insane lineup. Oh, <laughs> oh just totally insane. Um, Bill... Who are you going to go for? Oh, it's like a it's a tough call here because uh, first off, Paul Schofield, what the fuck? Like seriously, th- like throw it out the window, burn it with fire. Ter- <laughs> terrible nomination. I could have thought of like, I mean, was Christopher Plummer busy that day that he couldn't play that role? <laughs> I got to think of ten other people who could have played that role and played the. Paul same. Newman turned it down. Yeah, because it's not a of- it's not a greatly written role. He just recites some Shakespeare and is just sort of kind of vaguely disappointed in Ray Fiennes. I mean, like there were ten other people in the film who could have gotten that nomination. Basically, like it is like yeah. out of all the performances in that movie, he doesn't even register. No, it, it, it's it's the worst. And I will get into our you know who we thought of later. But I mean, he is. I mean, if the, why this didn't go to Totoro, I have no idea. Um, Gary Sinise is that's oh damn I just cracked my knuckle. Um, Gary Sinise really showy kind of star making role here with Lieutenant Dan almost a little too showy I think at times. Uh, Chaz Palminteri didn't see the role, but I, like I've seen clips of of Bolts or Broadway and he just that is the role he was born to play. Uh, and Samuel L. Jackson, I mean, like Marissa said, like he that is the best thing he's ever done. He is fucking phenomenal in this. But I'm still going to go Martin Lando with, for Ed Wood because Ed Wood was one of those movies I think a lot of people kind of glossed over in the Tim Burton canon and then came back to years later and were like, this movie is phenomenal. Uh, like, I love Ed Wood. It is such a good movie. And Martin Lando as Bella Lugosi as this just 
bitter, nasty, sad version of a horror icon is just... He is so great in this. And, and a part of this, I'm sure, was part of like a career Oscar. But I think he earned that one for sure. Like, listen, if you told me the Samuel L. Jackson's going to win this for Pulp Fiction, you know what? I am 100% fine with that, too, because like that it was the career. That is the best Samuel L. Jackson you're ever getting. And he is just play, he's just trying to hit that. He's just trying to hit that bar in every role since. But uh, to me, I still go with Martin Landau. But, you know. He's the one to the Samuel L. Jackson one A. Yet, um, first of all, to go off of one of the things you mentioned, Edward is like miles beyond any other Tim Burton movie. <laughs> so it's kind of like Oh, it's so good. I'm happy it's been reevaluated since it came out. Um That was another it, odd one I rented with my dad. <laughs> the first time Ed Wood dresses like a woman. My dad's like, oh, we're going to turn this off now. Because <laughs> I was like 13 or something like that. So again, rented in Netflix years later. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> this movie is just so good. That's so funny because it's so like, it was a different time, granted. But like, it was so like, chased the cross-dressing in it. Like, oh, sure. It's like, I know the, yeah, the movie is rated R, but like, it's like the tamest R, I think. There might be, I guess there must be like, fucks in it or something like that. But like, what a... I love I, I do love Edward and I love Martin Landau even though I would go with Jackson I think he's just he's doing something just like really interesting there and um, it kind of is just it's it's everything about Samuel Jackson that we've like that's become like a meme essentially like I mean literally his features have become memes um, you know it's just it's it's everything we love about him as an actor I don't think he's ever come close to an Oscar like attention since that movie. He's, he's wonderful. I, I do as much as I love Martin Landau's win. Cause I think he's really good in Edward. I do kind of wish it was Samuel Jackson's because I think it's just a shame that like, I don't think we'll ever get a Samuel L. Jackson nomination, even though out of all the supporting actors in Django and chains, he was the one who I thought was most deserving of an Oscar nomination. And mm. it went to Christoph Waltz instead. Um, Marissa, who are you going with for supporting actor? I'm going to keep it with Landau, even though I totally agree on the Sam Jackson thing. It's just that he's still alive to possibly win one later. Hopefully. I really also, hope Also, I think does. Paul Schofield is fine. You guys are nuts. No, he's, <laughs> I don't, no, no, like, he's fine. It's just like there's so many better people in that it's movie. It's a slow yeah. performance. It's very good. It's not, you know, uh, oh. big time Boston. Oh, that that shit was just like I just want to I just want to slap the baked beans out of his mouth. He was so bad, but I mean, like no, I mean, like I would have I would have gone with Totoro over over Schofield for Same. me, or or Tim Robbins could have put in there because if he was quote unquote supporting, I guess like I don't know that was just a very seriously that was nominated for a, 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 an, a, an Oscar. Uh, where it's like he's a fine performance, but there's nothing to me. I thought that merited like a nomination. We don't have time to get into it, but I do just want to get like it on the record that the category placement in 1994 is fully insane. And like if Tim Robbins is considered supporting and Josh Roll is considered lead, like the world just doesn't make sense. It's true batshit. Um, supporting actress. Um, we have two nominations bullets over Broadway. Diane Weist won one best supporting actress for the film. And then Jennifer Tilly was also nominated. The other nominees were Rosemary Harris, a.k.a. The real Aunt May um, for Tom and Viv. Um, <laughs> Helen Mirren for The Madness of King George and Uma Thurman for Pulp Fiction. I, it's, for me, unfortunately, I haven't seen both of Broadway. Um, the only two I've actually seen are Madness of King George and Pulp Fiction. So I would go with Uma Thurman 
it's a good performance, really underwritten character. But I just I think Uma Thurman deserves an Oscar in general. Um, Marissa, who are you going with for these five? Um, Uma's great, but Diane Weiss is so fucking funny in this movie. I, 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 like, if I hadn't seen that, I probably would give it to Uma as well. But, like, she's so fucking funny in Bullets Over Broadway. Every time she would, like, silence, um, what's his name? John Cusack by, like, telling him not to speak because he would, like, he was about to say something that would, like, make her have to commit to him in a way that wasn't her career. It was so goddamn funny. Like, it's such a good performance. It's perfect. I, I have to give it to her. She's just wonderful, and not to spoil one of our future episodes, but, like, her performance in Hannah and Her Sisters is one of my, like, top three favorite performances of all time. So, like, I will not begrudge her any Oscars. Um, Bill, who are you going with of these five? If you can get... If you got a, if you can carry Chubby S. John Travolta to an Oscar <laughs> nomination, you deserve the win. <laughs> and uh, to me, that Uma Thurman, I love Uma in this, in this role... She she takes these this like patchwork collage of a quote unquote you know gangster mall and makes it into just a, so much more such a memorable character that I have to go with her and she can da- she can dance like no one's looking you know come on she's great. We had a whole conversation last night with my friends about um, her dancing and just it's wonderful she's so good I. Uma needs to come back. We need to support anything Uma Thurman does, even though I'm guilty of totally not watching the Netflix show that she was in. Um, I heard there's a good reason for that. (laughs) Yeah. Poor Uma. Um, So we always highlight one category of um, outside the the big five, big six. I don't know. I can't count. It's midnight. It's midnight. Um, But we wanted to highlight the best visual effects Oscar for this lineup. Um, only three films were nominated, but I think they make for a really interesting time capsule of um, what special effects were like and what they were changing into. Forrest Gump won in what is, I think, a very well-deserved win, but um, The Mask was also nominated and True Lies, which are just two very different type of blockbusters in terms of what they look like. One is largely practical effects-driven and one is, like, the most CGI you could imagine in a movie. Um, Marissa, you also really wanted to um, talk about this category. It was some good co-host synergy that we both were on the same page. Um, why did you want to highlight this? Yeah, one? Forrest Gump uh, changed the game. Like, the stuff they do there to put people into archival footage and shit like that, that is still influencing the industry. Uh, you Like, that's the first step on the way to what we eventually get in all of the MCU movies when they de-age people. That's mm-hmm. like the, the ability to take older footage and, and meld it to new stuff. This is where it begins, really. This is the first really big leap forward. Um, the Mask is also like, I love that movie because I was a kid at the time. Same. But yeah, but like if you look at it, the CGI hasn't aged that poorly. It looks good. The And the practical effects are really good. The makeup is excellent. And like that movie sells that wild fucking premise even though it shouldn't because of how good the effects and shit are um and true lies is really about like the explosions and shit you know what i mean yeah. but i i guess like it would it's it still is laudable you know what i mean like i'm sure there are things in that that helped you know push the explosions we have on screen now <laughs> i i'll be talking about true lies in just a minute but um 
Bill, do you have any thoughts on the special effects category? Yeah, Marissa really touched on a lot of this. Like, True Lies, I actually just saw the other night. And actually, um, I don't know if I'm spoiling what you're going to talk about. It's actually going to be a show on Disney Plus now uh, coming next oh, year. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. they just. I, did not, I did not know that. Holy yeah, shit. yeah, they're going to do a True Lies series. There actually was supposed to be a True Lies 2 and, uh, like, where it was like the family of spies with Elijah Dushku was supposed to be in it, too. Uh, but that never happened. Um, yeah, True Lies is a big budget action film. Like, man, that those effects still stand up today. Like, yeah. it does. It did not age poorly. But um, you know what, Marissa, when you were talking about the mask, like, you'll look even like some CGI from five years ago, and you're like, oh, that is that is bad. Like, that is just real bad stuff there. Like, um, but on this, like, the mask still holds up crazy. And I, I probably know that movie backwards and forwards and have obviously auditioned for plays in high school <laughs> singing the song Cuban Pete and I definitely own the mask the green rubber mask for multiple Halloweens um, but yeah I no. may or may not have an original mask somewhere Ooh, there you go I uh, know I definitely don't have that one <laughs> um, but yeah they uh, that that man that those special effects on that are just like absolutely outstanding and but yeah Forrest Gump man it's like I was because I was thinking I'm like oh the mask probably should have won but what Marissa's argument I mean just just wins out because it's just like think about what they did and like how Hollywood had tried doing that before and had done it rather poorly and to have them be able to seamlessly get him in footage with Richard Nixon or meeting Kennedy you know I think did he meet Kennedy Can he I- meets like three presidents I think he meets Kennedy Nixon and then someone else Ford no. Maybe. Uh, whoever. No, it was Eisenhower. That's who it was. Um, and uh, so they do all that. And it's just like, it, it works perfectly. And like the CGI where they had, they uh, filled um, the the Great great Mall right in front of the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial. Like, like they get that whole thing. They fill that up with special effects. It looks great. The Vietnam War stuff um, is also really well done and still holds up as opposed to, you know, films that, like I said, even came out like, five years ago so yeah at Forrest Gump it, it, you gotta go with that one although you're not going wrong with the mask either that that movie definitely deserved that nomination yeah no yeah um, just to throw in as the president of the Cameron Diaz fan society the mask <laughs> is great um, she's so no, good in it she's so good so good um, that was her first real big one yeah it's her breakout role amazing um so now let's highlight some films from 1994 that didn't really make it into the Oscar conversation, but we all love. Um, I have three I really want to highlight really fast. Um, I can just both point them off. Little Woman. I really love Little Woman. I think the 1994 adaptation is excellent. Um, I actually just watched it this year because um, it was added to Netflix, but I had read the book a little bit earlier. Um, I think the book's great. It's like about exactly what I imagined an adaptation of it could be like. As I said in my letterbox review, if the Greta Gerwig version is even half as good as it, I'm going to pass out of the theater. It is just a really phenomenal movie, and I think Winona Ryder is great in it. Um, the other two are both action films that I think are just kind of stand out to me as like canonically great action movies, if I have to like go recommending things um, for people to watch in the genre. Um, True Lies has definitely not aged that great, it, like, so I don't want to like stand for it for Best Picture, but um, gender politics are a little wobbly now. Yeah, it's, yep. it's definitely. Yeah, I watched it last week and I was like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and it has a lot of um like just like um xenophobia and things like that there's like which played into why it was not greenlit for a sequel actually um but um i just want to mention jamie lee curtis is fucking amazing in the movie and like fully deserves an oscar nomination for it she's so good she has like she, she's a comedic genius, I think. Like, you know, we'll <laughs> wait till we get to our 2003 episode and I convince you all that she should be nominated for a Freaky, Freaky, Freaky Friday? Friday. Wow, okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> but uh-huh. get ready. Oh, but, um, interesting. I'm right. But, um, <laughs> Jamie, like, um, she's really good in True Lies. Really good movie. I, I think James Cameron can just do anything and I'll probably enjoy it on some level. Um, but I really want to talk about Speed, a movie that I think is yes! just like a, like, so perfectly constructed for what it is. And, um, like, it's funny that there's been a bit of a reevaluation of Keanu Reeves in the past, like, five. So people always, like, like Keanu Reeves the person, but I feel like we've just started to, like, appreciate him as an actor. And it's not to say he's, like, a great actor. He's given some pretty bad performances, but he's like really good at certain things. And the chemistry between him and Sandra Bullock in speed is on like another level. It's just, I really love what they're doing together. I know they reunited for like a romance. The lake um, house. Yes. Oh, and yeah, I, the lake house. I've never seen that. So I that's got some wonky storytelling in it's it, bad. but, but at the same time, <laughs> it's not the worst thing ever. Seen. No, there are worse things. Absolutely. <laughs> I like, I can't speak to their chemistry in like a more serious movie, but as like action co-stars, they're both good. And I think like everything we love about Sandra Bullock today originated from speed. And I, I think that movie is just really great. I remember there was like rumors in like the late 2000s that they were going to reboot it and mm-hmm. I don't hate the idea like I think their chemistry I would pay money to see them together again <laughs> um, yeah. in, I mean if they could get them back together look I even like Speed 2 Cruise Control thank you very much never, it's fine I've never seen oh it, really. man I saw it once I thought it was pretty <laughs> rancid but... <laughs> it's so fun it's a fucking runaway cruise ship how stupid oh it's so I think... stupid I think Ebert and Siskel gave it thumbs up. So, you, like, it's like I remember like that review of just like speed to speed to cruise control. They went against the grain, but or at least one of them did. But um, no, like, I just love Speed. It's such a good movie. I watch it like once a year, basically. It's yeah. I, I, speaking of em- endless rewatch value. Seriously. Oh, hey, listen. And this site is a Keanu Reeves stand site. I mean, we are named. In pun, it, it is a play on words of a Keanu Reeves movie, Pop Break. So, I mean, we, I named a side after Point Break. So, I mean, it's like I met him in real life and told him that. Like, he was very nice about it. So, like, we could talk about Keanu Reeves all day if you want. We really could. This is the Keanu Reeves pod now. Uh, this is a cliche at this point, but Keanu Reeves, come on the pod. Um, Marissa, who? what are you going to shout out from 1994? Oh, I could be really indulgent here. Um, uh, please, I, I wanna, I, I'm really <laughs> I hoping it's be. fucking Time Cop, actually. <laughs> You're hoping it's what? Time Cop. Nope, it's not Time Cop. Um, I like. I remember when you guys asked for the 1994 like ranking thing a couple of years ago. I put on. I refuse to put on Pulp Fiction because like I know everyone's going to do it. Yeah. So I could put Three Colors Red. I think that should have been nominated for Best Picture or Best Foreign Film. It wasn't, which is fucking wild. Um, and it should have won. Um, 
Lion King is also probably yeah. should have been in Best Picture. You like we didn't think about animated films the way at that time, so I get it. But like, it it has stood the test of time more than a lot of the things nominated for Best Picture. Like I'd watch that over just about any of those movies any day of the week. Um, but the one I want to talk about is one that was nominated for a smaller category, which is Heaven, Heavenly Creatures. Um, it's yes. a Peter Jackson film. Yeah. yeah. Peter Jackson movie about, um, it's like a true crime thing about these two little like teenage girls in New Zealand who murdered one of their mothers because um, their parents were keeping them apart because there was a question of some lesbian tendencies. Um, it is a great movie. It has, it's like Kate Winslet's for first role which um that's important i mean yeah and, <laughs> and um melanie linsky too yeah melanie linsky plays the other girl um and yeah they're both excellent in it despite being like 17 or some shit in it mm-hmm. um and it's one of the best like it has some cgi in it that like certainly hasn't aged well but it's like you can see everything that peter jackson's gonna end up doing in the the sort of DNA of Heavenly Creatures. There's the like interest in fantasy worlds and all of this shit. And the girls are so good in it. Like it's it's just so watchable and so devastating. It's like it's brutal at the end of it because it, it follows the trajectory of the true story. But and obviously like it's already sad that like, you know, one of their parents gets brutally murdered by them. But the aftermath of that is is pretty brutal too. Like it's just a really fascinating look at like a a murder case essentially that like is humanizing the people involved but also very cognizant of like a what they did and b all of the environmental and like cultural things that like led to that tragedy in a way um and it's also just really beautifully made so i suggest it to everyone i wish it had been like nominated for something bigger but like it was only nominated for best screenplay which is uh, you know makes sense but yeah it's it's brilliant i need to see it i put it off for a while because i've heard it's quite troubling but yeah, it's it like it's one that i really want to get to because Matt, it's in the bad girl canon it is in the bad girl canon and also i just fully love kate winslet i don't think we've ever oh, been she's so cool. i don't think we've talked about a year when she's been nominated yet but like when we get there yeah. like just Cut me off because I, I won't stop. Um, Bill, what are you going to shout out from 1994? Uh, one thing I thought, and I don't know how well it's aged, but I know at the time it was really good for special effects, was actually the Stargate. Um, I remember oh, yeah. the, the actual Stargate effects itself were very cool. That's actually a movie I probably, oh gosh, I watched that movie probably 40, 50 times back in the day. I probably wore that tape out. It was a lot of fun to watch, you know. Um, but for effects... It's it's and it's visual effects like the um, they have like these uh, guards that have like kind of these masks that kind of like morph over them and then like pull off for the time was like I think pretty cutting edge CGI and um, surprised they didn't go with that for a nomination I think even over True Lies probably deserved the nomination for that uh, best picture Marissa already touched on The Lion King I definitely think we look back on it it's probably one of Disney's biggest classics of the last twenty five years definitely mm-hmm. deserved and it was a great film. Um, a movie I mentioned before, too, for Best Picture, Ed Wood. Um, I, I definitely could have seen that coming in over something that had gotten nominated for a Best Picture. Uh, because it's just it's just probably... I, I love that for as a Tim Burton movie. It's a movie about, you know, uh, a, a, a section of Hollywood everyone kind of forgets. Uh, great performances from, like, 
Johnny Depp and Sarah Jessica Parker and and like Bill Murray and people and yeah, I just love that movie and I I, I think it's it's a lost classic. Um, if I'm just recommending something fun from them, um, I would say that The Crow came out in 1994. Um, I love The Crow. It's God. like, and I think people people like forget how like that was such a good movie. Like if anyone hasn't seen The Crow, go see it. And there's a uh, I don't know, it's a guilty pleasure. I probably could have been nominated for some visual effects because there were so many explosions in it. It was a movie called Blown Away. Tommy Lee Jones, Jeff Bridges, about um, uh, an IRA uh, bomber who escapes to find a former possible former compatriot now working in the Boston Police Department bomb squad. And it's uh, kind of like a cat and mouse type thriller. Kind of got lost because it came out the week after Speed. So everyone was just like, we have to go see Speed. And that was it. Uh, America just was felt the need for speed, and that was. And I think oh. that was a that was a tagline for Boom. marketing. That was a tagline for marketing, and I know it because I remember from '94. But anyway, like yeah, they like everyone was just on you know watching speed. So that movie got kind of lost in the wind. Um, but yeah, which of them? Which of those two actors is an IRA person in it? Because I can't imagine either of them doing a good Irish accent. They don't. Um, it's Tommy Lee Jones. But I like, but there's a lot of really awesome chase sequences, action sequences, a lot of really good suspense. And Jeff Bridges, Jeff Bridges doesn't have an Irish accent in it, but he um, he does. I, I don't know. There's something about Jeff Bridges. He's just an utterly likable actor. So if it's just if you're looking for a good thrills action movie that could have gotten a nomination for visual effects, it was blown away. Interesting. All right. Um, any other films we want to throw out before we sign off? I mean. There was there were some like acting nominations I probably would have thrown in over, but I don't know if we're doing that or not. So, if but, you want to shut him out, shut him. Yeah, out. I thought Robin Wright, Forrest Gump, mm-hmm. that's a nomination. Sarah, I I Sarah Jessica Parker for Ed Wood, and she's great. And there is a little bit. This one's a little controversial due to the film itself, but it was a breakout role. Um, Natalie Portman in Leon the Professional. I know that movie has definitely not aged well. And um, especially with everything that came out about Luke Besson, but Natalie Portman, I thought was really great in that film, and it, I deserved more. I deserve. I think could have uh, worked her way into an, uh, a nomination. I think she's really good in that movie. Um, not this is not even about Luke Besson or anything. I just think that movie is bad. But <laughs> like that movie has never worked for me. Sure, even no, before no, no. we found it. No. Yeah, I get. But. I totally get that. But I thought her performance just. If you're going to remember anything from that movie, it's Natalie Portman. Yeah, I'm forever thankful that we got her from it. Marissa, do you have any, what are your thoughts on The Professional? Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, really? Uh, I would love uh, to hear your thoughts on that. I've been trying to see it for years. It's just never, I never had time. Oh, also, John, I would have gone with Johnny Depp for Ed Wood as well. Um, yeah, he's really, and Sarah Jessica Parker is great in Ed She really um, is. She should have been in more Burden movies. She just works with the sensibilities really well. Um... All right, so I think it's time to sign off. Thank you so much for joining us, Bill. We're happy we had you on here. Thanks. No, I've 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 loved this series, and I was really glad to come on. Like I said, '94 was a huge year for me as a a, a film goer and an eventual journalist, and to to be on with you guys, um, you know, I love this series. So I've, I'm very was very honored to be a part of it. And where can people find more of your work? Well, I mean. My personal Twitter is just me talking about wrestling. So, I mean, if you're into that, I'm at Bodkin Writes. But um, mostly just go to thepopbreak.com, follow, 
at popbreak.com on Twitter, all spelled out, forward slash popbreak.com, all spelled out on Facebook, at the Popbreak on Instagram. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to uh, the Breakcast because Matt and Marissa put an insane amount of work into these podcast series, and they're amazing. Can we go check out the last one did about Tribeca and, uh, you know, all the years we've done so far on the Oscars. It's been awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, Marissa, where can people find more of your work? Oh, you know, on the site and at Marissa Garpico, every social media platform. There we go. And you can find me on Twitter at MattNMFU1 and Letterboxd at Matt T and just my work on the site. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. This episode is almost as long as Pulp Fiction itself. but um, More enjoyable. You know, more enjoyable, yeah, and less problematic. So um, thanks, everybody. Have a good one. <laughs>